Hey, everybody. Welcome. Tux Weekend starts now. Good morning. Welcome. I have Michael Vioma on today. Did I say that right? Yep, that's All right. All right. Awesome. Um, the timing of this is kind of interesting because I think we met right around a year ago. Yeah. Give or take like right. a month. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't want to start out with, like, a lot of times I'll ask people, like, what do you do for a living? Like, what's your job or something? Um, the other icebreaker question I ask is, like, what did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast? Mm-hmm. Every morning we make sausage and eggs. And I'll wake up, I'll go get the breakfast going, and Reagan can kind of take her time getting up, getting with the kids. We have a two-year-old and a seventh month, seven-month-old, and so... My two-year-old is, like, ready to go. It is 7 o'clock. The light comes into the room, and he is just, like, ready to rock and roll. So he and I go downstairs. I make sausage and eggs. Sometimes if she's feeling hungry, if I'm feeling hungry, I'll throw in some sweet potatoes. But that's that's our standard breakfast. And for him, I'll make him a waffle or I'll make him an oat, some, like, oatmeal or something like that. He can't have eggs. He's allergic to eggs which makes it really hard because every morning he's like, Daddy, I want some eggs. I want some eggs. <laughs> and yeah, we just can't give it to him. We actually got him tested, so we're kind of waiting for the results to see, hey, are you still allergic to eggs or can we feed you eggs now? And so we're hoping that it comes back where we can feed him some eggs. But as of right now, he still has to – yeah, we're, it, and it's hard because we don't want to just feed him, you know, pancakes with syrup and like sugary things in the morning but looking for like different alternatives like oatmeal maybe that's a good option um, but if I want to stay away from the grains with him you know it's kind sure. of more difficult but I ate a ton of oatmeal as a kid um, there was a podcast that I listened to one time uh, and I always listen to all sorts of different health related podcasts and stuff um, but there was a guy on there who's, um, and he's a biohacker, whatever. I'm going to look into the details. I can't remember who it was, but, um, he's like, yeah, we beat our kids egg allergy. Um, and all we did was like slowly add tiny amounts in over a really long period of time. And then like, it just kind of went away. So I don't know, might be something worth looking into, especially like if he was like, Hey, I hate eggs and don't feed them to me. Then like, okay, we'll just like mark that one off the list and never worry about it. But Uh he's like, Hey, I want some eggs. But, uh, oh, we have chickens at our house. Maybe farm fresh eggs might help. I don't know, but might try that. Um, so let's go on how we met. So, um, we were, um, part of a team that uh, some guy was going to come talk to us, and uh, that's kind of how we first met. So maybe explain that story. Because I was kind of part of the team, and they're like, hey, we're going to get these other people involved. I'm like, who are these people anyway? (laughs) Exactly. So Kelton comes up to me one day after daily mass, and he's just like, hey, I've been wanting to talk to you. We're getting this team together for this purified event, getting Jason Everett to come talk in Hayes, and we're trying to get at least a couple from each parish around. So y'all were St. Joe's, IHM, St. Nick's, and we represented the um, the campus center. And so you guys had done everything at that point. We were kind of just like there for show or maybe just like to promote and sell some tickets on a couple weekends. So we show up to Cassandra's house after we had accepted to help. We show up to Cassandra's old house and 
just meet all of you guys. And we're just, I mean, we just have no idea who any of you are. We barely know Kelton and Jill. And turns out your wife's name is Jill. And I was just so confused. I was like, wait, is she Jill or is she Jill? And it's yeah. like, yes, they're both Jill. <laughs> so, but it was awesome. I mean, I think, I think Reagan and I left that, left that meeting just like wanting to get to know each of you. We're like, oh my gosh, like there are like good young Catholic families here. And see, the thing is being invited to this purified event team was really pivotal in our moment here in Hayes because whenever we moved here in August of 2019, yeah, in August of 2019, that first fall semester was really difficult. We didn't know anybody. We're 14 hours away from family. And it was just really difficult. We found out that we were um, expecting. Our son had a lot of illnesses. And we just, yeah, we, like, needed a community. And we just hadn't been here long enough. And so whenever Kelton invited us to be part of this team, it was it was almost like a turning point of us, like, starting to find community. And it was, yeah, it was great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of kicked myself here. I should have made a note of this. We've already started, but before we start, could you start us in prayer? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. In the name of the Father, Son, Son Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. God, our conversation. Come Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for Tucker and this podcast. We thank you um, for this mission that, that I'm able to live here with Focus here at Fort Hayes State. Lord, I pray that you guide this conversation, allow it to be fruitful. We pray for all those listening right now that you may uh, just pour out your your graces into each of our hearts, Lord. And um, may we come to know you, may we come to love you ever more and every day. Pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Father, Son, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Does that ever get easier? Um, I asked this, I had Father uh, Ryan on here, and I... I kind of dropped the bomb on him just like that. Uh, but I, I I feel like I'm getting better at spontaneous prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you think it ever gets easier? I, I think it does. But I think, I think before it can get easier, we really have to um, put away our expectations for it. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of times whenever I – was asked to spontaneously pray, very intimidated. Oh man, what is what is everyone else going to think of me? Or what am I going to say? What if I what if what I say doesn't really make sense? What if I repeat myself? You know, there's all these lies and these questions that are preventing me to to spontaneously pray. And I think at the very beginning of just just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and just to um, renounce all these expectations that I have to pray a certain way or act a certain way and just allow what is on your heart to, 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 to come from your mouth. And maybe it doesn't make any sense at all. And, um, I mean, that's what I have to tell myself. It's just like, okay, just Lord, I just trust you in this spontaneous prayer and I love you and I praise you and it doesn't have to be anything super fancy. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing is just let it come from your heart. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that, uh, and I've said it before, but on here, but, uh, I feel like a lot of the other um, Christian denominations are, are like really good at this. And, and I'm like, hey, how did you get good at this? Is this something that you guys practice? Mm-hmm. Do you go around the room and like critique each other? And like, I don't know what it is with Catholics, but they're like, hey, 
say a prayer out loud and you're like, uh, Hail Mary, full of grace. You know, you just like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So, yeah. um, but it was something that I noticed in myself and I'm like, you know what? When I'm praying, when it's just me and God praying, I'm going to practice that spontaneous prayer. And so if I'm called on or if I'm asked to do that, I've got something to say, you know? So, um, let's talk about your childhood growing yeah. up. Where do you come from? Yeah. Um, what are your parents like? What do they do for a living? All that stuff. Sure. So I am from Texas originally, a little bitty town called Castroville. I think whenever I was growing up, it was about 3,600 people. I think now it's, you know, well over 10,000. It's just really growing. But it's in the outskirts of San Antonio, rural west of San Antonio. So not too many people know about it, but I grew up there. We moved, we moved to Castroville when I was one, so that's really all I knew growing up. My mom was a principal for middle school, and so so she was my principal, which is kind of fun. Um, and my dad, he was a, a game warden for 30 years, 30, 32 years, I want to say around that time. And he actually retired as a major. And so um, they both are retired now. Um, and so my dad has this, like, little farm that he's, like, trying to keep up. He has some cows that he's working on and I mean he's, he's doing a good job he's had a lot of learning with it but he seems to really enjoy it how old are you I'm 27 no way yeah so your and your parents are retired they're both retired that's awesome do you have sub- siblings mm-hmm. so I have an older brother and he's 10 years older than me so what is that like 37 mm-hmm. or so and he has two daughters and he's married with two daughters and then I have two older sibling two older sisters um, golly, Becky, if you listen to this, like, what is you 86. What is that? Okay. So yeah, she's my age. Yeah. 90. She's 34. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 34. And then yep. another one is 30. Just okay. 30. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So actually your sisters are my age. And then do you know my sister, Maddie? I don't know. Oh, she's my. born in 90. So yeah, we're yeah. the same ages. I don't know if I know your sister. Uh, yeah. she teaches at Holy Family and, okay. and, uh, goes to the, to the CrossFit gym, but, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Does she come to mass with you guys every now and then? Yeah. Okay. I've seen her. I've never met her. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and actually, um, she and my wife get mixed up all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really weird to, to kiss my wife and somebody's like, Hey, that's Maddie, right? I'm like, no, it's not. That's <laughs> my wife, Jill. So, so, um, but yeah, so, but they're used to it now. Yeah. Um, so growing up in Texas, mm-hmm. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh man, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Like that was the goal. That was the dream. Uh, that's, that's all I wanted to do. Um, and so, you know, growing up, I played sports my whole life. I played baseball, basketball, a little bit football. Um, but ultimately I wanted to go play for the Houston Astros. Oh yeah. Maybe not right now. I'm a little <laughs> mad at the Houston Astros right now, to be honest. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe the Royals now, you know. Sure. <laughs> but that was my dream. That was my dream. Okay. Yeah. All right. So going through high school, um, you playing ball. Mm-hmm. Did you go did you get to play any college ball? I did, yeah. So through high school, kind of the kind of the way that it kind of worked out, I really wanted to pursue college college baseball. So when I entered into high school, I um started playing baseball and it was going well. Got to play a little bit on the varsity, got to get some experience there. And then coming into my sophomore year, um, 
it was a week right before two days, and I was going to start playing high school um, football as well, my sophomore year. And it was a week before two days, and I tore my ACL. And, you know, my first thing is like, oh, man, there goes my college, my college chances to play baseball. And so I went and rehabbed six months later, came back my sophomore baseball season, probably about midway through the season or so. Um, Still injured, not 100%, but was able to kind of come back in it. And then um, (laughs) at this time, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to play football my junior year. I'm just going to, you know, focus everything in baseball and... I actually quit the team, and um, there was just a lot of people that were really disappointed, and um, it, it's it's kind of a, a weird story the way that happened, but I went in to go quit um, to my head football coach, and he was just like, okay, well then just get out of here. I was just like really, really disappointed with me, and I was just really flustered of just like, oh my gosh, like am I doing the right thing? You know, I really want to go play college, college baseball. But if I don't play football, like, these people are going to be mad at me. And But I don't want to play football because there's a high chance of injury, but I got injured in baseball. So, like, there was just all these conflicts going on through my mind. And I remember the next day I showed up to athletics. So this is a small town. We have athletics. But it was, you know, in parentheses, football. So I sure. show up to practice. Texas football. Texas football, yeah. Very serious football. <laughs> and is the um... – Around here, football's in the fall, baseball's in the spring, mm-hmm. basketball's in the winter. Like that, they're everything's separate. Is that how it is down there? Yep. Okay. Same thing. And and the thing is, like, we were in such a small school. I say small school. You know, I come around here and people are like, "Oh, I graduated with twelve people. <laughs> I graduated two hundred and seventy nine, and we were a small school." <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, and, and at our school, the athletes just played every sport. Mm-hmm. So you play football, then you play baseball, maybe you run track, basketball. Those are the guys that kind of only did basketball. Um, so I show up to athletics that next day, right after I had quit, thinking, hey, I'm just going to go work out, get into shape. And that same coach calls me out in front of everybody. And he goes, what are you doing here, Mike? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working out. Like, we're going to do some agility drills. We're going to do some weightlifting a little bit. He's like, no, this is football. And baseball is down there at the baseball field. And, and, and here's the thing. There was no baseball class. It was just athletics. And so mm-hmm. if I wanted to go work on baseball-specific skills, um, it would be by myself. Sure. So it was just – I just remember, like, being really humiliated in that and then going down to the baseball field and just, like, running and just, like, having so much, yeah, anger within it. But um, I, I just remember – I draw back to that memory a lot because um, – yeah, there was one of, did I make the right decision? You know, now now people are ashamed of me. There was one that, that, that a lot of my insecurity kind of stemmed from. Mm-hmm. And so in response to that, a few weeks later, I came back to football. And I was just like, okay, guys, I'm sorry. Like, I do want to play. In my heart, it didn't. But it was like sure, kind of manipulated too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I say that because my junior year of football, I tore my knee again. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is definitely going to take out all – baseball, you know, college opportunities. Praise God it didn't. After my senior year, I went to go play um, for a junior college, Blinn College. <laughs> Some people know it as the, – the, the only way people know Blinn College is through Cam Newton. Okay. And so Cam Newton wouldn't play there. Football, obviously. Mm-hmm. But a year right before I went, so I didn't get to see him or anything. Did you tear the same knee twice? Yeah. Okay. So my sophomore year, I tore my ACL. 
And then my junior year, I tore like the rear part of my meniscus, okay, which made it really hard to just get that range of motion. Sure. What uh, position did you play in baseball? So in baseball, I I played two. I pitched and then I played first base a little bit. Okay. Primarily, I was pitcher. My freshman year of college, that's all I did was pitch. And then summer league, I had a few home runs and I was feeling good one day. And I texted my coach. I said, "Hey, coach, I just hit two bombs in this game. Can I can I come hit for you next year?" And he just texts back, "We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you so I'll give you a chance." And I was like, okay. Um, then my sophomore year, one of my buddies, he was a starting first baseman. He um, what did he, do? he struck out looking, and the ball was a little bit outside, and he was really upset. And so he got his bat and drew the line where where the ball path was, and the and the empire just ejected him. Oh and my! So he was so he was suspended for a week. Yeah, and. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but it gave me an opportunity to play. I was like, sweet, yeah, I got a whole week of playing time at first base and got to prove a little something, and, and it was a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. A pitcher going out to play the field, you talk to any pitcher that plays the field, they just loves it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had to be good. I mean, pitching in, in college is not a – I mean, there's, that's a rare breed. Mm-hmm. I mean, not very many people get to say they pitched in college. There's a lot of college baseball players, uh, but pitching in college is a is a whole nother thing. That's true. So you know, I had a um, I actually had a little advantage because I'm left-handed. Okay. And so I was going to ask. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you know, righties, you got to throw probably 90, 95, maybe high 80s in order to to really be successful. But lefties, you can get away with, you know. Low 80s sometimes, but mid 80s. If you hit 90s at a lefty, you're going to be really successful. Do you bat left? Mm-hmm. Okay, bat left, but I golf right. Okay. Well, I was the weird baseball player that threw right and bat left, oh, and it's yeah. pretty rare. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was. Uh, but I have a a similar story in that I broke my wrist my senior year of baseball. So no. I mean, through high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball, and. Uh, my actually my senior year I got cut from the basketball team so I didn't get to do that but I had the opportunity then to train all winter long for the coming baseball season and then I broke my wrist right before the oh, season started yeah. so snowboarding on a uh, on a trip uh, so Ouch. ended my baseball career a little earlier than I wanted to yeah, but that's tough that's life I guess Thank so. Goodness. I did. Uh, I mean, I was still on the team, so I got to go to all the games and take some pictures and stuff. And yeah, school early and a little bit. Cast over my elbow, but uh, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. That's how high school goes, I guess. So, um, where, where the college that you went to is that in Texas? It's in Texas. Okay. So Blinn College, it's right outside of College Station. So A and M, it's kind of the sister junior college to A and M. Okay. A lot of people. There's there's a few different campuses, and so the one that feeds mostly into A and M is in Bryan. We were in Brenham, where where all the sports are, and so it's just really funny. There's only 2,400 students, max, that are there, and I would say about 80 percent of them, 80 90 percent of them are athletes. And so, um, I mean, if you're going to go to Blinn and you're not going to be an athlete, typically people go to College Station and Bryan area, so that they can at least have the atmosphere of like the university there okay but so what did you major in so i actually started out kinesiology 
and I wanted to be a coach or ultimately I wanted to be a physical therapist, something within that realm, tore my ACL. And so I was just around a lot of PTs at that time. And so I wanted to do something in that, but yeah, I, I, one of my counselors in high school, she just really discouraged me from that. And, and I didn't have the best grades, but she was just like, are you sure you can do that? Are you sure? Like, why don't you just coach? Or like, why don't you just do something else? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is my dream. You should be like encouraging me. Um, so I just went into kinesiology to, to kind of just play it safe, just kind of see how school went. And then my sophomore year, I actually uh, changed my major from kinesiology to business. And then I pursued the accounting route from there. And that change kind of came, uh, <laughs> I laugh. Um, I started dating this girl and her uncle was an accountant. He was a CPA. He had his own law firm. I mean, you know, making a lot of money. And so for me, I was just like, that's where life is. Like, I want to go own a boat one day and like a lake house and all these nice things. It's like, in order to do that, I have to make a lot of money. And this is how I can make a lot of money. And I thought I was really good. I was like, yeah, I'm so talented in accounting because my first two like very beginning classes, I got A's in. And so I was kind of like, you know, feeling really confident about myself. Um, but so that, that kind of like, that is where, you know, that pursuit came into accounting and it, it was for money. Um, uh, I mean, was it the right decision? I don't know, but it's my story, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. So did you graduate? Yep. So I graduated. So at Blinn College, it's just two-year university or two-year college. So I transferred over to Texas State, put down the cleats, didn't play baseball anymore, went to Texas State and got my accounting degree. And so right before I got my degree, I went and did an internship in in an actual um, CPA firm working on taxes. And, and that was tough. It was five months in a firm in Houston. And the people there were great, I will say. Our, uh, the partner that I worked for, I mean, he was great. At the very beginning, at the very end of tax season, he took like the little like his team, so I think it was four of us, out to lunch like one, one, uh, twice the tax season. And we would go to this fancy, fancy steak restaurant, and he would just say, get whatever you want. And, I mean, it's a steakhouse in Houston called Perry Steakhouse. And it is just like by far like the best steaks. I mean, you're looking at like fifty, sixty dollar steaks. It's sure. just awesome. Um, so that's definitely a perk, you know. Like like they did wine and dine. <laughs> um, I mean, there were great people outside of that too. Not sure. saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but it was tough. I mean, I remember. I think the most I worked was seventy eight hours in a week, and that was followed by. I want to say like a seventy two and a sixty five. You know, sixty hours on average during a during a typical tax season. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, and so after doing that, or and after watching that, were you ready to sign up for that for like the rest of your life? Like, I know my uh, my dad's accountant, um, and his son actually goes to the gym, uh, Jason Ball, and uh, I know he's like, yeah, I watched what my dad did. I don't want to sign up for that. Yeah, you know, whenever I did that internship, um, yeah, exactly like him. Like, I wanted to run from it. And I remember driving home one day, Houston. It was real dark because I'd show up, and it was it would, be, it would be dark. I would leave, and it would be dark. It's just a crazy thing because you're just always in the office. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not every day, and it's only a season. 
But, you know, I, I was living this lifestyle and I just remember thinking to myself, um, oh my gosh, like I'm just, I'm waking up, like I'm eating, I'm working and I'm sleeping. And, and, and that's it. Like that was my life. And I remember calling my mom and I'm like, mom, is this, is this what I have to look forward to? Like after college, like, is this all life is, you know, I was just like really discouraged of, yeah, what am I doing? Am I making the right choices? You know, like this life kind of sucks if this is what it is. And, um, she just reminded me, she goes, you know, Michael, this is why you have your faith. And like, how are you praying? Like, what does your faith life look like? And to be honest, I had never missed mass more than one time in my life before that time. And then the, the first month that I started that job, I had missed two weekends of mass. And I, I mean, I wasn't going to daily mass at that time either, but it was just like, yeah, I missed Sunday mass. I didn't know it was a mortal sin. You know, I didn't know that it was actually like really grave and serious for me to miss Sunday mass. And so I did, you know, just kind of, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to go. Um, but one thing that she said, it's really appropriate that we're here in this Divine Mercy studio. She goes, you know, Michael, why don't you just like listen to the Catholic radio? Just, just turn it on. Just see what it has to say. Moms are really good at this stuff, aren't yeah. they? Just like little seeds, uh-huh. just like popping it in there. Um, so I started listening to it. And, and one thing that I noticed at the firm that everyone was listening to music. And so in my head, I'm just like, hey, if they're listening to music, if, I, if they're okay with me listening to music, what if I just like threw the Catholic radio on, you know? Um, it was a little distracting sometimes. But, yeah, I, I got a lot of consumption, maybe too much <laughs> <laughs> consumption at that time. I mean, you know, 70-hour work weeks. Sure. Listening to Catholic radio most of the hours. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, kind of a funny story with the, the missing masses and mortal sin. We're, uh, my, my parents have a pool in their backyard, and there was one Saturday um, we were sitting there, and I'm like, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to confession. And my parents are like, why? And I'm like, well, um, last week we were on vacation and we didn't go to mass while we were on vacation. You all were with me and y'all should be going to confession too. And they're like, so we got in this massive argument that uh, missing mass is a mortal sin. And, you know, my parents are in their 60s and they're like, I had no idea. And I'm like, okay, next time you see father, you ask him. And (laughs) it was really funny. Do you know Father Fred? I don't. I've only heard stories. Okay, so you you just missed him. Um, he was here for like 20 years in Hayes. Um, he, when I went to Catholic school, he was my teacher. And had you been a focused missionary a few months earlier, mm-hmm. you would have been working for him. Wow. But uh, he was the confessor at the time, you know. And so they're like, uh, hey, Father Fred, um, my son tells me that <laughs> I'm living in mortal sin here. Is he right? And he's like, where were you on vacation? And they're like, um, Costa Rica. And he goes, they're like the second most Catholic <laughs> nation in the world. I think you could have made it to mass. Your son's right. And I'm like, yes, Dang. I feel a little validated here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Um, but he's like, hey, you know, if you're in communist China, I'd probably give you a pass, right. you know? And For so sure. it's just, I thought that was kind of a funny story. <laughs> in- That's so, you know, that kind of reminds me of, one of the first time that I missed mass in college, me and my buddies, we went down to Galveston, which is on the coast of Texas. We went down to Galveston to go fish one weekend. And 
it was just a long night. We were we were fishing probably till like three or four a.m. We we got back to my buddy's mom's house at five a.m. We were sleeping, and probably woke up around noon. You know, college kids just not really caring. Um, we didn't have we were off for baseball at this time already, and so my dad calls me. It's a Sunday, and he calls me. And he goes, "Hey, Mike, what are you doing? Oh, we went fishing. We had a good time. Did this happen? Yada yada." And he goes, "Oh, did you make it to mass?" I go, oh, Dad, I couldn't make it to Mass. Like, you know, I don't have a car. And, um, you know, these guys, they're not Catholic. And so, yeah, I, I just couldn't make it to Mass today. And he was just, like, really upset. And he was just, like, really disappointed. And I was like, Dad, what's the big deal? I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, looking back at that moment, it, it was ignorance. And so, I mean, also to clarify, is it a mortal sin? Was it a mortal sin for me? Did I have full knowledge of it? Maybe at that time, no. So maybe it's not a mortal sin. But is it grave? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Had I known, absolutely, mortal sin. Yeah. 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 It, that's interesting. All right. So um, to be real honest with you, I thought you were older than 27. Um, <laughs> not – I don't I don't know if that's a, a diss or if you're offended by it or what. But when people say I'm older than I am, yeah. I usually take it as a compliment. Yeah. Um but uh, I've gotten that my whole life, though. Part of that, I don't know about you, when mm-hmm. I was in, this is probably not one of my more proud things I should admit to, but when I was in high school, the like juniors and seniors would have me go buy tobacco for them uh, because I could get away with it, and they wouldn't card me, and I don't know, it made yeah. me friends, so I did it. But yeah. uh, anyway, um, part of that, though, too, is you're married. And you've got two kids, and then you tell me you're 27. I'm like, whoa, this guy is is doing it. Yeah. Tell me how you met your wife and how that. Yeah. Tell me that backstory. So, so to kind of continue um, from that internship, okay. it, it all kind of ties together. And so from that internship, you know, I was just like, mom, what am I doing with my life? I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Go for it. Um, is the internship after you graduate, or is that like part of your senior year? It's part of my senior year. Okay. And so. I graduated in actually December 12th, Our Lady of Guadalupe, in 2015. Nice. So just celebrated my five-year college anniversary, which is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm old. (laughs) It's official. Um, So so right before I graduated, the the spring semester, I took off to do this internship. And so it was right at the end of the internship. I was just like, man, do I want to do this my whole life? And my sister, she was a focus missionary. She was a focus missionary at Murray State in Kentucky. And then she was also at Troy University in Alabama. And so I was just like, you know, I just like wanting to, to have more relationship with God, but also wanting to, to, to give more of the faith to others and just seeing like this, this law, this lacking in our culture and just wanting to do something about it. And so all the zeal kind of stirred up and I was like, I'm going to be a focus missionary. And so it was really rushed, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, NST started on a Monday, and the Wednesday before I had applied to become a focus missionary, accepted the job offer, you know, told told my internship that, hey, you know, I'm going to be going to do this, you know, I can't work for you anymore. Um, they were like, okay, that understands, mission work, that's cool, like, give us a call when you're done. And it was really, they were really understanding about it. So, I go to become a missionary, um, 
full disclosure, I mean, way too quick of a discernment process. Like God just wants you to discern a little bit more, <laughs> a okay. little bit more at that time. I got so many questions yeah, already. Let's hear um, just to clarify for those out there who've never heard of FOCUS, um, FOCUS is actually an acronym. Uh, F-O-C-U-S is the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Did mm-hmm. I get that right? Yep. Okay. Um, you're the only one who have I, I've actually like known. I've always heard of them around or, yeah. you know, but as far as even having conversations or shaking hands with one, like you're a real life one. So um I know my my parents have like sponsored some and paid some money to some, but mm-hmm. um, you might talk about that whole funding process because usually you're not funded by the place you're in; it's the place you came from and stuff like that right. too. So it's just very interesting world that that comes from. It's very unique. It is very unique, and so yeah, focus is a mission to reach out to college students, ultimately to share the gospel with college students to, to give them a, a concrete opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. Um, you know, a, a lot of us are, are born in the faith. You know, for me, I'm a cradle Catholic, and so all I ever knew was going to Mass on Sunday and, and being Catholic. And it's really important to, to invite everybody, even if, they've, if they don't know who Jesus is, maybe they know Jesus their whole life, but to have a concrete moment that they can look back at and say, yes, this is where I put Jesus in the center of my life. And, and, and the thing is, it's not just one moment. And so it's a continual process. Okay, what part in my life do I need to really give to Jesus? Gosh, I've just been so angry lately. Okay, let, we need to work on that. And so as focused missionaries, we're inviting college students to have this concrete opportunity to say yes to Jesus, but to also look at their lives and to say, okay, what what needs to change? What needs to be um, conform more to the life of Christ. And so how can Jesus become the center of that part in your life too? And so then it becomes a second step of walking with them, helping them really put Jesus at the center of that part. And then the third step would be teaching them how to do that with their friends, teaching them how to have virtuous friendships where they can, you know, not just talk about sports all the time, where they can go a little bit deeper and share a little bit more about their heart and actually talk about, you know, Christ and the gospel and how that's impacting their lives. And so with college students, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, but gosh, there's, there's just like a lot of people. And especially this year where, where we got to experience a quarantine, there's just a thirst. There's just a thirst. And, and you know, Jesus says, you know, I'm the only one that can really quench your thirst. You know, come to me and you, you won't be thirsty anymore. <laughs> you know, that, that sounds amazing. But. Going back to the internship mm-hmm. and everybody was listening to music and you turn on Catholic radio, is this in the office out loud or is it in your headphones? It's in my headphones. Okay. No way. I don't know. I'd probably get fired <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> I was going to say, man, you have got uh, some... Uh, that's a that's a bold move there yeah. if if you were going to play it for the whole office, but uh, yeah. I got you. Yeah, that was just for myself, and um, yeah, I I don't I would have definitely gotten in trouble. I think looking back, like oh, it wasn't the most prudent thing to do because I mean there were some tasks that were a little bit easier, which didn't mind, but like on the more thoughtful tasks, it's like okay, you're thinking about this project that you're working in front of you, then you have like these extra words coming in, and you're trying to process both. I'm a terrible multi multitasker, so. Um, but yeah, continuing from the internship, so I went to become a focus missionary. Hold on. Yep. Um, 
the so your sister was a focused missionary, mm-hmm. and that's where you were exposed to the possibility, right? Because mm-hmm. if she hadn't done that, would you have known anything about it? Well, I had met my first focused missionaries um, whenever I was a sophomore at Blinn. Okay. And so it was Andrew Dennis and Tabor Carlson, these two guys, I mean, they were just jacked guys, just always at the gym, just really attractive to me. And I was just like, wow, I want to be like you. And you love Jesus? Like, I've never met anyone like you. And so it was just really cool to get to know them and to a little bit. I've only, I, only, I only got to spend about a week with them. And then I went to Blinn. So they were missionaries at Texas State, and I was going to school at Blinn. So my sister was a student at Texas State, and that's kind of how I got connected with them. So whenever I transferred over there, I was really excited to start working with them. But, um, yeah, my pride kind of stopped me from working with them when I went to Texas State. I was always invited to go hang out and do things with them or to be a part of Bible studies. And yeah, I, I would just, we call it, the term I like to use is called a frosted flake. One of my buddies came up with it. It's like, yeah, hey, I'll be there at Bible study. Oh man, I can't, you know, uh, something came up. It's like, well, what came up? Something. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're flaking on it. That's okay. You know, yeah. but you know, your heart's got to be in it to come to. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... As you uh, get out of the internship, um, or how do you meet your wife? Yeah, so so I became a focused missionary right out of the internship, mm-hmm. and something that each focused missionary has to do at the very beginning of their mission is to go on a dating fast. If they're not engaged, they're not married, that'd be really awkward if Reagan and I had to go on a dating fast for a year. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when you become a focused missionary, you go on a dating fast for one year. And so, uh, yeah, the girl I was dating at the time, you know, um, it was just, there was a lot of strife and, and the relationship just wasn't healthy. And so we ended things there. Did you know this when you signed up? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because you said it was fast. And so I didn't know how much discernment was there. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to sign up for this. And they're like, okay, sign this paper. Oh, by the way, <laughs> you got to break up with your girlfriend. <laughs> So here's the thing. I didn't have to break up with her, but it was like a step back. Uh-huh. So so you limit communication. You really just limit the relationship um, to the point where you are dating, but it's not you, – you're not discerning past that. Okay. And so um, it's basically a, a more intentional friendship. Um, so it, it gets kind of iffy, and every person just kind of – especially if they're dating somebody, determining on the relationship, it, it just looks different. Sure. But yeah, you, you mentioned all these things that I had to discern so quickly. So a couple big things within discernment of becoming a focused missionary is you can live anywhere. You can live in Hayes, Hayes, America, and you're from Texas. Um, I lived in Massachusetts and Maryland, and I'm from Texas. So you can live anywhere. That was one. You have to fundraise 100% of your salary. So focus doesn't, yeah, the salary. I have to go ask people to donate um, through the nonprofit to to give to me to get my salary. And then, yeah, then this dating fast was another thing. I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, can I do this? And Which of those things was most scary to you? Absolutely, 100% the fundraising. Yeah, asking for money. Absolutely. I could imagine. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what are the, what are the, the, the politically correct topics to, never, to avoid? Yeah. What is that, religion, money? 
politics. In politics. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm a salesman, and I've been a salesman my whole life, um, and I I sell a product. Mm-hmm. Give me money, you will be covered by insurance. Like that's my my whole gig. That's my life. You're saying, give me money so that I can talk to college kids about Jesus. Yep. Like, yeah. and they're like, yeah, well, I'm going to sign up for that. I'm sure you got a lot of no's too, but yeah. um, that's interesting. I'm sure we'll talk more about this. But anyway, go absolutely. on with the with the discernment process and becoming a missionary. Yeah, absolutely. So at that time, became a focused missionary. Um, the girl I was dating at the time, we had broken things up. Um, not because of the dating fast, but more of because of the state of the relationship. We just both realized that it wasn't it wasn't a good relationship for us. And so I went in to the into that summer, just feeling really free, going to campus. I went back to Texas State as a focus missionary, graduating in December. So it, the the focus lingo was called a December grad focus missionary. And so um, what that means is whenever I finish school in December that I would be placed uh, at a university around the country. And I didn't know at the time where. And so um, that was always kind of a fun guessing game. So I go to, I go to school and I go finish my semester in my accounting degree at Texas State. And the very first week, our campus center offered a free lunch on Tuesdays. And so I go up there trying to like meet students, trying to get people in a Bible study. Who can, who can I invest in this year? And a lot of people I, I know. And so I'm fairly familiar with a lot of these faces. And then I see two faces off in a table that I just don't know. And it's this beautiful girl and who I think is her boyfriend. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, like that makes sense. So I, I go up to them and I'm like, hi, Michael, you know, good to meet you. Can I sit down with you guys and have lunch? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And um, getting to know them a little bit, you know, her name is Reagan. His name is Cameron. Um, That's my future wife. You know, when I first meet her, you know, thinking back to this moment, it's just like kind of surreal. Just like, wow, I'm going to be married to that girl. Mm -hmm. You know, um, (laughs) it was just so funny because I thought they were dating the whole time. And what year is this? This is 2015. Okay. So in 2015. So I think they're dating, and she's like, oh, this is my brother Cameron. And, you know, on the dating fest, but I'm like, oh, she's a beautiful girl. And so, like, you know, internally I'm like, wow, like, that's amazing news that that's her brother, not her boyfriend. (laughs) And it's like, dude, you're on the dating fest. Come on. (laughs) Talk to me about fasting real quick. Because fasting, my note here says fasting reveals question mark. Mm -hmm. Um, What other fasts have you done? Any food, any drink, any – you just started drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. So um, up until now, recently, you've been fasting from coffee. Yeah, this is – I guess, right? <laughs> this <laughs> is day two of drinking coffee. Okay. Uh, so I, I read this article that is like, yeah, coffee is actually really good for you. And so I'm just – okay, if I can just do one cup in the morning and then be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see what that does. I also – you know, at the gym, they were giving away that, those vouchers, and so I bought some Four Sigmatic coffee. Uh-huh. It's pretty good. They like it. It has mushrooms in it. It's supposed sure. to make you think more. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it works. I've yeah. never had coffee. I've. I would drink coffee occasionally. One of the, one of the experiences that really sticks out. One of my buddies made this pot, and we're on campus last year, and we're going out to meet students, and I'm just shaking. 
And I'm just like, what is happening to me? Like, get yourself under control, Mike. And, um, yeah, I was just kind of freaking out. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of overdid it on the coffee this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't tell because he was just so used to it. But, yeah. yeah, me being such a newbie. The strong stuff. Yeah. Okay. killing me. But. Any other fasts that have kind of opened your eyes to, to different things? Um, one thing that I started doing a lot – um, more, more so in the spring was intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And I was just like reading all the benefits of it of, yeah, going from like 16 to 18 hour fast. Um, and I really enjoyed that. But as I started working out more, I just, I just didn't have the energy right now. Maybe one day I'll get to it, but I wanted to, to, to work out and kind of eat healthily and then maybe build up to intermittent fasting while working out. Sure. Um, right now I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but another fast that I do every single year at the beginning of Lent, so on Ash Wednesday and on Good Friday, I'll do a monk fast, so a 36-hour fast of just of, of only water. Um, I think the first year I allowed coffee because I was just like, I need something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the past the past two, three times that I did it, I didn't have any coffee. It was just strictly water, and that was really difficult, um, but it was so good, too. It was uh, such a good sacrifice to just, like, remind myself in that pain of just, yeah, who, who am I praying for? What am I praying for? What am I fasting for? Is it just for, like, my physical gain or is it, like, for these prayer intentions in my heart? That's awesome. And uh, we're going to get into CrossFit and working out and stuff later on here, but uh, I could I can't imagine how hard a, a 36-hour fast is when you're not in the practice of fasting. You know, when you do the intermittent fast and you're normally doing 16, 18, mm-hmm. and then your body has to do 36, it's like, oh, well, it's just double what I normally do. It's no, not as big a deal, yeah. but I couldn't imagine if, because like, I'll, yeah. I'll mention to people like, you know, just don't eat for 16 hours. And they're like, um, kind of look at you weird, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you're like, oh, I've done 36 before. And they're like, you've done what? <laughs> How are you still alive? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you'll be fine. Uh, yeah. So exactly. That's well, interesting. Well, Jocko Willink talks about how the human body can survive 30 days without eating food. Mm-hmm. And so like that was like constantly in my mind. And, and to be honest, the first time I did it, it I kind of cheated because the night before we just went, I went ham. Like mm-hmm. it was fat Tuesday and I think we had like pancakes and chicken and waffles. It was just like so much food that my body needed 36 hours just to digest it. Sure. <laughs> um, but the past three times, it's been a little bit more difficult because I was like, no, I'm not just going to like load up on the night before, get my calories for tomorrow today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you have signed the paperwork. You're going to be a focused missionary. Mm-hmm. You meet your future wife. How how long into the year fast are you when you first meet her? I was like week one. Okay. You know, like week one on campus. Mm-hmm. So I guess I had been on, on the dating fast for a couple months at that point, two or three months at that point. But I meet her and, you know, through my mind, I'm still like, okay, yeah, like I'm not going to date this girl. I'm on this dating fast. I'm here for the mission. Um, and so what was really cool about the way our relationship developed was she was a good friend. Cameron, her brother, was in my Bible study. Um, he and I became really good friends. He was he was working to walk on at the Texas State baseball team. He went and played for TLU, another baseball team, um, the next year. 
but he and I would just work out together. And so he would go throw, we'd, we'd go lift weights sometimes, um, we'd go hit. And I just remember every time, as I'm looking back, like all these memories are starting to pop back in. And he would say, hey, my sister and I are going to go to eat lunch somewhere. You want to join us? Hey, my sister and I are going to go do this. Like, do you want to come? And a lot of the times I was like, no, no, I better not. You know, yeah, I just didn't want to cross over any boundaries. And you were being a frosted flake in a good way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for a good was, reason. Exactly. I was like, no, like I can't. And then one day um, I remember leaving an accounting class and I walk outside and I get a, a message on Facebook from Reagan. And I was like, that's kind of cool. That's kind of weird. I mean, let's, let's just read it. And she was like, hey, Mike, you know, thank you so much for, you know, investing in my brother. Like he's a freshman, just like really need someone to look up to. You seem like a great guy. And blah, all these things. And so I was like, wow. Like, that's just, she's, I mean, you know, all these things are going through my mind. Like, here's a beautiful girl, like, admiring what I'm doing. And so mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, this is really hard to, <laughs> like, not want to date her. Um, but, but what was cool from that is, is a friendship really developed. And so um, the whole time, Maybe, maybe like internally, I wanted to date her in my heart, but externally and, and through the relationship, it was just, it was friendship and it was just really cool. Um, whenever she came to realize that I was on the dating fest, cause she didn't know until like after the, after a while we were friends and then she had learned like, why is this guy like keep avoiding me? And like, why is he just like sidestepping me? Sure. And, um, they were like, yeah, well he's on a dating fest. He, he's not going to date anybody. Um, I think toward the end of the semester, we, we both realized that we both did like each other. But to stay faithful to the dating fast, that we we still weren't going to date each other, which made it really difficult because I wanted to. Um, but yeah, but we didn't. And then I was stationed in Massachusetts. They were like, okay, Mike, you know, this end of the semester, we have your placement for you. You're going up to Massachusetts. And I was like, that's great. Where is that again? <laughs> Boston. Holy cow, that's <laughs> north. Yeah, 34 hours in the car. Yeah, finally made it up there. It was the craziest thing. I had never seen snow before. And then all of a sudden, I'm just on the highway. I'm like, what's that white stuff on the side? What's that white stuff in the median? Oh, my gosh, that's snow. Like, oh, wow. Can I just, like, pull over and play with it a little <laughs> bit? Because I've never seen this. <laughs> yeah. And then you probably got your fill of it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So how long were you in Boston? So I was in Massachusetts um, at a little town called Amherst, and it's it's where Amherst College is, and but the university that I was at is called UMass Amherst, and so that's where I was. It's not very big, um, and I mentioned Amherst Amherst College because I think two presidents came from there. It was pretty prestigious, but we never worked on that campus, um, but that's where it was located. And so I was there for five months, and five winter months. Yeah, and. I just, I had, I'm a Texas boy. We don't get, we get snow that's about, you know, two centimeters thick. And we think, you know, this is it. Yeah. You know, we can make a snowman about <laughs> the size of an ant pile. <laughs> um, so I was up there and, and it was crazy. You know, we would just get feet of snow and they're like, yeah, this is just such a mild winter. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. <laughs> it's negative 22 degrees outside. How is this a mild winter? And so that was just a lot of getting used to. Yeah. Um, driving in snow. The first time I drove in snow, if there was a car in front of me, 
definitely would have been a car accident. Yeah. We were out in the country and I'm coming down this hill to a stop sign thinking I just stop like normal, I push on the brakes and I just start sliding. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so it was all new, but yeah, I, I learned a lot from going up there. And you're pulled away from this relationship that you'd like to have happen. Mm-hmm. But now when they send you to Massachusetts, mm-hmm. you have what, six months left of your fast or? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's right in the middle. It's probably a little bit of a reprieve if you don't have to be around her. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it good was, and bad, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a both and. I mean, it was really difficult. Um, I think for both of us because we knew that we couldn't date. And so, you know, after we've talked and, and her telling me her side of the story was just like, great, Michael's going to leave. Like, I want to date him. Um, and he's going to go meet some Massachusetts girl, fall in love, and then start dating her after his dating fest. And like, I'm not going to be there. And he's going to be up there. And so she was just like, oh, I should just move on, like whatever. And um, and me, kind of the same thing. You know, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm not over there. She's going to start dating some other guy. I don't really care to date anyone up here. Um, you know, um, at the same time, you know, I think the, the proper way of doing a dating fast is just like putting all these all these things aside, but internally in my heart, this is what kind of was being revealed. But after, you know, they hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. And so oh, yeah. you can see, and I think the longer that you're married, and the longer that you're with someone, and then, you know, I have older daughters, and then you can see. I just say older, older than your daughter, but that's pretty easy <laughs> yeah. to do, isn't it? Seven um, months. <laughs> so, but you can see how attractive that would be. Now, that's not attractive to us guys, but I mean, we talked this, we started this conversation with Jason Everett, and then listening to listening to him talk about relationships and things like that, and just how attractive that would be from the girl's point of view, because. Mm-hmm. We're not programmed that way, and right. we have no idea what. I still don't know what my wife's thinking, but I do think that I have a good, a better understanding now than I did when we were dating. Oh yeah, just living under the same roof and mm-hmm. being around her. But hearing your story, telling this, those fasts are hard. Yeah, fasting from food is hard. Fasting is. from alcohol is hard. Fasting from girls is hard. You know, That's but sad. it definitely reveals a lot of good stuff too it does and you know like like jesus says was it his disciples were trying to cast out this demon and they come to him and they're like lord like why won't this demon be cast out and he goes oh like this can only be cured from prayer and fasting like prayer and fasting and i think a lot of times we forget that that um jesus talks about prayer and fasting a lot and he and he actually invites us and asks us to pray and fast all the time you know, and so, um, you know, these, these, these fasts that I'm talking about are big ones, but I mean, a lot of times, you know, what are those small sacrifices that you're making that you're fasting from? Um, you know, maybe today you're just not going to be critical. And, and that's something that I struggle with is like, oh man, I'm hypercritical or, Hey, I'm going to critique this person in this way, or, or I'm, maybe I'm going to gossip in, in some way or whatever. Um, and so it was just, okay, today I'm just going to, if something critical comes to my mind, I'm just going to stop talking and just like offering that sacrifice um, to the Lord and, and just allowing him 
to transform my heart through that. And like, ultimately that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. I, there's one, there's a rule that we have in the house and, uh, it's, it's really cool to see your kids actually pick up some of the rules that you've kind of been not yelling, but suggesting to them over the years. And one (laughs) of them is, uh, don't say can't. Mm -hmm. Um, and I heard my, my seven-year-old daughter tell my three-year-old daughter the other day as they're playing quietly in the corner and I'm doing my work and I hear her say, Hey, don't say can't. And I'm like, Oh, it worked. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She's (laughs) teaching someone else the same thing I taught her. It was beautiful. So, um, back to the story. You're up in Massachusetts. How do you get back to Texas? So I, at that time, at the end of the semester, I called my boss in Focus in Colorado, and I was just like, hey, is there any opportunity that I can move closer to Texas? You know, I'm, I'm 34 hours away driving distance, and it's just really difficult for uh, me to, like, be connected with family back home. And, and I wanted to start dating this girl, you know, and she's 34 hours away. I don't like, That just can't be possible. Can, can you move me closer to Texas? And so then they call me about a couple weeks later, and they go, um, you know, Mike, we can actually move you a little bit closer. Um, there's a spot open in Maryland. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, right. Not 34, but 24 hours away. Like it is I, like technically 10 hours closer, but, um, yeah. Th- and so I was just like, okay, yeah, a little closer. They're like that, or you just stay in Massachusetts. And I was like, okay, like I, I can move to Maryland. And so I moved there, um, which DC area, crazy wild. I mean, to go two miles, prepare for like 30 minutes and then travel. Wow. It's insane. And you're a small town Texas boy. Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine. I mean, Hayes is a little bit bigger than your town, mm-hmm. uh, but still, I, I've i never lived anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised here. And so, yeah, moving to the D.C. area would be culture shock for sure. It was. You know, like moving up to Massachusetts was a culture shock. This the way that they talked – um, was very different than than we had talked. I remember in my first conversation in Massachusetts, as Texans, we talk slow. Mm-hmm. And in Massachusetts, it was like, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about that? And they would just go so quick. And I remember thinking and opening my mouth and then just getting immediately cut off by like three people. Like, <laughs> you're, you're going too slow. <laughs> so that was kind of a culture shock in itself. And then Maryland... Um, well, it's a little bit less of the culture shock. A lot of people in Maryland consider themselves come some, themselves from the south because it's south of the Mason-Dixon line by like a mile. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like right out the cutoff. And they're like, "Yeah, we're actually from the south." No, that's not how this works. <laughs> yeah, that's like saying I'm from Western Kansas until I talk to somebody from Western Kansas, and they're like, "No, you're from Hayes. Get <laughs> out of here." <laughs> Okay, that's but, fine. But I mean, it was a culture shock as far as the 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 big city life. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness, it was just crazy. But it was cool to go see like the monuments and to be a part of um, yeah that community for a little bit. It was so big though that I think I found a really hard time finding a community outside of the students that I was working with and the people that I was involved with specifically on the campus. It was just like so big mm-hmm. that um, I think everyone kind of had their own little bubbles. To like, yeah, to be a part of others was just very difficult. I'm sure it was hard to 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 crack into any of those bubbles mm-hmm. 
and that's your job. That's just to, you know, make relationships. So, Mm -hmm. um, was that harder than asking for money? Um, you know, I think of outreach on campus, very similar to asking for money because, uh-huh. you know, and in, in one aspect, I'm talking about finances. Mm-hmm. And then the other aspect, I'm talking about the faith and politics. You know, those, those kind of get mixed up whenever people start talking about the moral life, um, their beliefs, their views. And so, you know, we go back to what we were talking about earlier. What are the three things you don't talk about? That's my job to mm-hmm. talk about each of those things. Was what about training? So mm-hmm. did focus just say, Hey, you're Catholic, rely on your faith, good luck, or was is there good training to yeah. to help you along that? Yep. So the training is broken up in the summers and historically, like my first time with Focus, um, it was five weeks at a university campus in the summer. And so it was just like five different levels of formation. And so I want to say that the one is human, spiritual, um, apostolic. Oh, man. There might be another one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But there are all these different pillars to to where we're formed. And basically it's growing in virtue, our prayer life. Um, How are you going to outreach to students? And then fundraising. I think that was the other pillar. Like how am I going to fundraise? So all these big topics were kind of just thrown into five weeks of training. And, and it's pretty extensive. It's also a lot to remember and a lot to learn. So a lot, what Focus does is that first year when you're on campus, they consider that kind of the first training year. And then your second year on campus, you're a little bit more of a veteran. And so you're still training to some extent because we're always growing in relationship. But that's, that's the year that it's a lot more pivotal. And like you, you feel like you can give more to campus at that point because that first year you're just learning so much. I mean, there's only so much you can teach in five weeks, but a lot of what's taught is on campus as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're in Maryland for the spring semester? For the fall semester. Okay. Massachusetts for the spring semester, and then Maryland for the fall semester. Okay. And that now we're in 2016, right? Now we're 2016. Okay. Yep. So what happens after Maryland? <clears throat> so this is kind of where the story gets a little crazy. <laughs> So Maryland, a, the yeah. story's already crazy, man. <laughs> that was the easy part. Okay, you know, and so um, 2016, Reagan and I start dating, and it's it's going really well. She comes up to Maryland every now and then to visit, and I mean, Maryland is beautiful. I mean, beautiful falls. So we'd go out and pick orchards, go pick up pumpkins, um, and so it was such a gift to be able to experience that together when we were dating. So how did that start? Did you go back to Texas over the summer between the? Yep. So after okay. Maryland, I took the drive with my parents. They, so I'm so grateful for them. They flew up or no, actually they, yeah, they flew up and then we drove my car all the way back down. So 34 hours with my parents. Um, it was fun, but, but I was like, okay, I'm going to surprise Reagan and just go ask her on a date. And so when I get back to Texas, um, I've been texting her. I'm just like, Hey, you know, what are you up to? Blah, blah. And, um, she was like, Oh, I'm just at my house, whatever. And, now, does she live close to where your parents live, or, like, how does that work out? So she's still in school at Texas State at this okay. time. So she's in San Marcos. My parents live in Castorville, which is about an hour and a half or so. Okay. Maybe about two hours away from each other. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I go down there, and, and uh, I go surprise Reagan, and 
I asked her out on a date and she was just like, oh my gosh, like you're back. I thought you were going to get back another day because I, I lied to her and I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to get back on this Saturday. I showed up on a Friday and I was like, hey, I'd love to take you out on a date. You know, what do you think? And so we went ice skating and we went to this Italian restaurant and um, went to Barnes and Nobles and just walked around. It was great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Okay. So... But now you have to go back to Maryland, right? <clears throat> so now. Okay. So this is the summer of 16? Yep. Okay. So summer 16, we're in July. Okay. July 16. Go back to Maryland, and we make that trip, driving my truck up, um, or my car back up, and it was my parents and Reagan, and it was just such funny because, you know, we'd stay at hotels, and, and my poor dad, gosh, he would just... He's a little bit of a snore. <laughs> so she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, your dad snores so loud. <laughs> um, but it was such a fun trip. We we got to really spend some good quality time, just the four of us. Yeah. And so so in Maryland, um, yeah, started doing the outreach and started um, working with Focus. And it was really difficult for, for me to be, you know, 24 hours away from Reagan. Reagan's mm-hmm. going to school. <clears throat> I'm up in Maryland. And wanting to develop this relationship, um, you know, thinking about engagement, you know, hey, wow, this girl is just really great, you know, pursuing and discerning that as well. And um, Maryland happens. And then toward the end, middle to the end of the semester, actually, maybe it was more the middle semester. Um, I want to say one of my cousins, he had brain cancer and he passed away. And so it was just, like, really hard to just be like, oh, my gosh, like, here I am in Maryland, and this is happening. Mm-hmm. And soon before that, my grandma had developed brain cancer. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and then um, I want to say. Is that the same side of the family? Same side of the okay. family. And then I want to say about a week or two, very close within each other, I get a call from my parents saying that my brother has cancer. Oh, my gosh. And I'm just like. Holy cow, you know, 24 hours away, you know, my heart is in Texas yeah. at this point. It's just like so hard to give to these students to Maryland. Um, and so I was just like in a really rough place at that time. And I remember calling my sister, the, the Sarah, who was a focus missionary, and just be like, Sarah, I just, I got to quit. Like, I just need to come home. And she's still doing that at the time, right? No, okay. at this time she had, she had done two years and then she... Left focus. Okay. And so she got married. And they have three beautiful boys now. And awesome. so I was calling her and I was just like, Sarah, help me out. Like, what, what, what do I do? do? Yeah. What do I do? And she was like, Michael, you know what? Like the Lord has you here for a reason. And like, you're not with a family, but you can actually do so much for the family where you are. And just like offering these sacrifices and like being part of this mission and giving to this mission through like this, this wound and this ache that you have. And... I mean, it was just such beautiful words of encouragement. And I was like, no. I was like, <laughs> I don't want that. Like, I need to come home. Yeah. So at the end of the semester, I told Focus, hey, you know, I I, I just, I got to go back. Like, I can't be on campus anymore, um, you know. So so I pretty much quit. They offered me an opportunity to, to, to remain a Focus missionary but move me to Texas State, um, which would have been great, you know. And, and at this point, I was just like, no. Like, I just can't do this right now. I just can't be on mission. Um so I rejected that and got a job doing tax accounting in San Antonio. Um, and we'll say the, the last thing that I had with Focus at that time was going to a C conference. And it was great because it was in San Antonio. 
which was just kind of wild the way that worked out. But I got to be a part of that. And, and, and one of the key reasons that I, I left Focus was to be with my brother more and to be with, uh, be with him during his treatments, be with him during his chemo, and just kind of be with him a little bit. And then, so I would say that's about half of my, my intention. The other half was I want to be with Reagan. You know, so like it's like my heart was just like pulling me there. Um, so yeah, at this time I, I started a job doing taxes, going back to accounting and saying, you know what, like this is recognizing that yeah, okay, I, I left it in the first place working those seventy eight hours weeks. Um, but like, hey, you know what, this is still a good sacrifice and like it's still good to work and it's still good um to, to have this career at this point. So that's kinda where I, where I am in that. Very cool. Yeah. So now we're towards the end of 16, starting in 17, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what, I guess, what happens next? Because I know, yeah. I mean, we know the end of the story. You're back with focus, but <laughs> fill in the gaps. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll throw it kind of a little nutshell because it gets a lot. Um, so 2017 happens. Um, Reagan and I, we get engaged in February. And such a gift to experience that we went to a mission church, Our Lady of Schoenstatt in Austin. And it was a little bitty church, a little bitty chapel that sits on top of a hill that overlooks like just this beautiful neighborhood. And like, it's like these rolling hills and it's in Austin and it's just beautiful. So we went and got engaged there. And it's so funny because we did this novena for the married and engaged couples. And Reagan had never done a novena before. And I was just like, on the ninth day, that's whenever I had proposed to her mm-hmm. and she just had no idea. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty obvious. It's kind of obvious, but I mean, yeah, I think the Lord just like veiled that uh-huh. obviousness from her. Um, so we got engaged in February, which was great. Started working this job and things were going really well. Um, they, they limited our hours to 55 hours. They said, you're not going to work more than that. You know, that'll, that'll be your most. Um, so that was a gift. We were able to start working marriage prep. Uh, then summer came and, you know, yeah, at this time, you know, this past fall, uh, my, cram- my grandma was going through cancer. My cousin just passed away. I had a, a great uncle that just passed away. My brother's got cancer. You know, all these c- things kind of going on. So they kind of continue into the spring through treatment and whatnot. And then we get a call that, um, man, I can't remember the order, but we get a call that my aunt is just like sick all of a sudden. And we're just like, what, what happened? It's just like really, um, tragic. She passed away in a week and, um, it was just, yeah, just really unexpected. No one was ready for it. I mean, she was just like the beloved aunt, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, you know, I I think about her really often and just like, golly, I want Ambrose and Felicity to meet her. And I still have her emails that she sent with me and like, I will not delete the text messages. Sure. Um, just cause yeah, I just loved her so much. Um, still do love her. And so she passed away. And about a week later, my grandma passed away, mm-hmm. you know, from, from her brain cancer. And it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, this is just like continuing. I was like, I thought 2016 was over. <laughs> like what has happened with 2017? Um, so that was pretty heavy in 2017. But in November we got married. So like that was such a gift to be able to, to, to marry Reagan at that time. And Oh, yeah, my grandma couldn't be there. My aunt couldn't be there. But um, to have, like, my family and their support and everything. Um, yeah, I, I, tell, I tell my brother all the time he gave the best, 
the best best man speech ever. And I don't have it recorded. <laughs> so I'm like, dang it. Talk a little bit about Reagan because obviously she was <clears throat> Catholic. Uh, mm-hmm. You met her at uh, at the church, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, my wife it was Catholic, um, but just not very active in her faith. And mm-hmm. so that was something that we kind of got to grow in together. Um, but like hearing your story, hearing Kelton's story of two very Catholic people kind of colliding, mm-hmm. uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So Reagan, she, she was born and raised Catholic, cradle Catholic as well. And, um, but at the same time, it, it was kind of, it would kind of come in waves with her faith and kind of to the, to the conversation we were having earlier about missing mass on Sundays. Is that grave? Is that serious? And she, she at the beginning when we met was like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. You know, like her family would, would kind of teeter totter, you know, like, yeah, Hey, we're free this weekend. We should go to mass. You know, Mm -hmm. Oh, we got, we got tournaments. We got things going on. Um, you know, maybe we shouldn't. And so, and that was kind of like her mentality as well. I'm just like not really seeing, like knowing that the faith is important, but not knowing um, the reality of of the severity of the faith, like the, like the, like the beautiful gift that the faith really is. Uh-huh. And so, she actually, whenever we started dating, or actually before we start, when when we just met, um, in, in those messages that she texted me at the very beginning of our friendship. She goes, you know, I'd love to be a part of a Bible study. And in her mind, she was like, I want to be a part of your Bible study, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) And I just responded to her and I was like, yeah, you know, my friend Megan, she's leading a women's Bible study and it's going really well. I'll hook you up, you know. And she tells me now and she was like, no, I don't want to be with Megan's Bible study. I want to be with your Bible study. Right. (laughs) But, I mean, another thing with focused Bible studies is they're they're men and women. Mm -hmm. And we do that to allow um, that vulnerability talk. Sure. Uh, and just, yeah, I mean, men can be more vulnerable with men. Mm-hmm. There are some things that you should not share in front of women that you right. can with a brother. And so, um, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was her faith. And, and and as she got involved with that women's Bible study, her eyes were just like starting to open. And it was just really cool to see her just really catch fire. Really, I mean, she is just such a beautiful, such a passionate, such a loving woman that whenever she hears truth and she knows it, she wants to tell others about it because mm-hmm. she's like, I didn't know this. Like, did you know that, you know, when you miss mass on Sunday, that it's it's really wrong? You know, like, why is it wrong? You know, like, you know, and she would just go into it. And, and um, she's such a passionate, such a beautiful woman that whenever the faith like started to, to really impact her life, it just like really started to show like, Oh my gosh, like the graces just started pouring out of her. It's such a gift. Was it intimidating to, I, I guess the best like, um, metaphor I have is like, you're like a black belt in Catholicism (laughs) and to, to have this girl that you're into to be like, Oh, Hey, by the way, white belt, you know, come join us and her being like, I can't do black belt stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Was that, did that cross your mind at all? 
No, not at all. Cause I know I, I'm not a black belt. <laughs> like I am learning, you know, I'm very much maybe that maybe a dusty white, you know, <laughs> that's just like a little bit dirtier. Um, if it's a black belt, it's because it just hasn't been cleaned. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, I think it was one thing. I don't Go know ahead. if you realize how, um, accurate what you just said. Um, because historically with karate, I don't know where I picked this knowledge up, but it's true. Um, black belts aren't actually black belts. They're just guys who have worn their white belts so long they've oh, become really? black. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and But that's where the tradition came from mm-hmm. was when you showed up, they gave you a new white belt and you just wore it. And then the people with the most experience, their white belts are, are black. Dang, that's um, cool. And so I had no idea. that that's exactly a true thing that uh, it's just from experience and from mm. doing the thing for years and years and years that your white belt becomes black. So, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I did not mean for that to happen at all. <laughs> yeah, divine intervention. I guess. Yeah, no kidding. Golly, but I'm sorry I interrupted yeah, your no, train good. of thought. You're, no, you're good. Um, one thing that I was just going to add to that is is I think it was really attractive for her to see a man um, like wanting to pursue his faith and wanting to pursue a relationship with God where she was in the stage of just like learning and developing this relationship with God that um, that when she saw a man who could could lead you know that's that like she wanted to be a part of that mm-hmm. and um, and I think that sound I think that rings true with with most women I mean Reagan is a very attractive woman Ed you know, I'm a, I'm an average man, you know, um, her dad always jokes with me and it's like, yeah, Mike, you out kicked your, out kicked your coverage. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I, well, this is kind of silly to say, but you know, men, you want a beautiful wife, like live a virtuous life, you mm-hmm. know, and it's that simple. Um, and, and because like the man is the leader of the family of the relationship. And so, um, when we fail to lead, like it's just, there's just a lot of things that are going to fail. But if you, if you actually step into that virtuous life and you step into your faith, um, you're going to allow this woman to, to really flourish. And, and the image that I've been, I was listening to this podcast and it was just really great. It was on Dr. Bob shoots. He talks about how women are like flowers and how whenever they're loved and led well, especially like in the virtues and in the faith, they become the blossom and they become to open up. And it's just like a beautiful flower. Um, Opposed to, you know, a, a real shriveled flower that's just like all enclosed to themselves. Um, so. Yeah, as far as, I don't know, I kind of, I think I went on a little tangent there. That's all right. <laughs> but yeah. No, it's perfect. Okay. So now um, you're an accountant. Mm-hmm. You're married, freshly married. Uh, did you go on a honeymoon? We did. Where at? Went to New York City. Awesome. Yeah. Back we- up north. Yeah, back up north. Oh man, yeah, New York City. We were just like, we got to go somewhere, and it was in the winter. We wanted to do something. Reagan had always wanted to see New York City around Christmas time, so we said that's where we're gonna go. And I mean, we get there. I mean, New York City is gross. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever been there, but it is. It stinks outside. There's like dog dung on the sidewalks because people don't know how to pick up their yeah their dog stuff, and um. Yeah, it just like wasn't a very attractive city. But once we got to like to the Christmas and the decorations and Saks Fifth Avenue and like um 
what's that big tree called? Um, yeah, the giant tree. Mm-hmm. I blank it on the name. Yeah, Rockefeller Center. There That's you go. The one. And so I mean, it was it was really beautiful. But on that honeymoon, probably the the best aspect that we didn't expect to happen to us is we went to a funeral. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so um, one of my good good priest friends, his name is Father Emmanuel. He's a CFR Franciscan uh, priest who lives in uh, in Manhattan, and so. When we were up there, I, I called him up and said, "Hey, Father Manuel, we're in Manhattan. I'd love to take you out to dinner, maybe to coffee if you if you're not available for dinner." And he goes, "Hey, Mike, you know I really can't. Um, Father Andrew possibly just passed away, and so like me and my brothers, like we're all getting ready to to celebrate his funeral. If you want tomorrow, we're hosting a lunch for um, our neighbors. And so whenever they talk, whenever the CFRs talk about their neighbors, they're talking about the poor." And, and the homeless. What's a CFR? So a CFR, what is the acronym? Um, gosh, I cannot remember what the CFR stands for, but it's 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 basically a renewal of the Franciscan order. Okay. And so um, we have the Franciscans out in Victoria mm-hmm. right here. This is a, just a different order of the Franciscans. Okay. And so their their mission is to deal with the homeless and the poor and the very um, the very needy at that point. And so they live in the ghetto. You know, they live in the very poor parts of Manhattan. And so um, we went up to their friary and we had lunch with them and their neighbors. And it was just such a gift to be able to serve like these poor. Mm-hmm. And there was this one woman, um, well, hold up. Before I tell you about Kitty, um, Father Emmanuel, you know, he introduces us. He goes, guys, I want to introduce, you know, my, my friends that are here. Uh, you know, Michael and Reagan, they just got married. So if you guys have any marriage advice, like, go tell them. And That's so, awesome. And so, yeah, we're getting advice from, you know, the roughnecks of the park yes. of, like, marriage. Uh, and these people, you know, th- this one couple comes up to us and tells us how they just got their apartment. And they'd been li- living um, – I get like in the projects homes and, and, and up in New York, the way that they were describing it is that they have these projects where they're basically like little nooks and the walls are so thin that you can hear your neighbor shooting up drugs. You can hear, um, yeah, just like really terrible things happening on each, each, each side of the wall. Mm-hmm. It's not a good place. And this couple was talking about how he worked really hard to finally get their own apartment. And it was just like such a gift. And so, um, yeah, and then this one lady, Kitty, she came up to us, and she was just talking about, um, you know, you guys like. I don't know, she was just such a she was just such a character, and she was just had so much life and so much joy in her, that um, she was so excited for us in our marriage, and, and so much love that just came from her. And a part of me was like, but but like you're homeless, you know, but you know, but you you live in like this really rough part, like. You have some teeth myth- missing. You're, you're, yeah. You're just, you kind of smell a little bit. You know, like like all these things kind of going through my mind. But you could just see like the joy of Christ and like the way that these priests and these friars are impacting like the poorest of the poor. Like it's 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 so evident that you can see God in that. Uh-huh. It was such a gift to do that on our honeymoon, like to serve these people too, That's and awesome. for th- and to be served by them, which was just so unexpected as well. Yeah, and you're doing. A couple of corporal works of mercy on your honeymoon. We didn't even plan it. That's right. a crazy thing. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. 
And then the next day we go to Father Andrew Apostoli's funeral, mm-hmm. which was beautiful. Oh my gosh, you had I think three bishops, one cardinal, um, like all the Franciscan priests. You had Dominican sisters, sisters of the poor, um, Franciscans, um, sisters of life. I mean, wow. uh, sisters of charity, like all these religious, sure. and it was just beautiful. It was one of the, I mean, I was like as fancy as I could dress and I knew that I just <laughs> needed to wear a suit if yeah. I didn't have a suit with me. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you make it to Hayes America? So, so kind of take the quick route. So 2017, we get married. 2018, I'm coming up. I'm still working in this job at this tax firm. Um, I finish another another tax season in the spring of 2018. Is the tax firm closed? Is Reagan still in school then? So she had graduated okay. at, at 2017, in the summer of 2017. Okay. So we had been, we got married in 17. Reagan's staying at home at this point. Um, we know that we want to get pregnant. We want to have children. And so we actually get pregnant right away. And so we're pregnant with Ambrose, and we find out on the Holy Feast of the family, which is such a gift. Yeah. Um, it's a kind of fun little note. But at the end of that tax season, I actually got fired. And they, they let me go from the job at the end of the tax season. They were like, okay, thank you for letting us, you know, um, for, for doing tax season. We're going to move on from this, yeah, from this employment. And so that was really hard um, coming to that realization where, okay, I have a family to provide for. I have a child on the way. And I just lost my job. And I was like, holy cow. Did you see it coming? No. Okay. I mean, it was blindsided. It was my HR called me in one day and was just like, hey, Michael, this is going to be a tough day because this is your last day here. Oh, jeez. I was like, oh, my God, just blindsided. Yeah. And um, that was a really hard day going home, telling Reagan that. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think one thing that, that it was difficult um, but kind of added adding to that pile, <laughs> I feel like that's almost like a, um, a trend that kind of keeps happening since 16. Um, just like adding to the pile. But at the end of that week that I got fired, no, it was actually it was the next week because I got fired on a Friday. That next Friday, we got a phone call from Reagan's doctor saying that, hey, you know, this baby, um, we can't find the fourth valve in the heart. We can only find three. We can't find the outflow of the second valve. Um, in the heart. And so we were just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I don't have a job. How are we going to pay for this surgery? Like, is this baby going to survive? Like, how am I going to provide? Like, just all these things oh, yeah. going through me. And so we got an appointment for the following week. And the day before our appointment, um, Reagan, she, she had this dream where she had three hands on top of her belly. And she had just read the night before that St. Joseph visits in dreams. And so she, she went to sleep and she saw these three hands all over her belly and just like praying over her belly. The next day we go up, we go to, um, yeah, we go to the doctor and the doctor is doing the scan and she's like, oh my gosh, like these are beautiful pictures. Like, I don't know what your doctor is talking about. You know, I see the valve right here. There's an inflow, there's an outflow, one, two, three, four. Like, these are great. Actually, I'm going to take these pictures so, like, we can use them to train in because they're so clear. Huh. And, like, your baby is so healthy. And, I mean, it was just, you know, in, in that moment and just, like, sitting in that sacrifice of just lost my job. 
you know, a year before I just lost my grandma, my aunt, my brother's going through cancer, like all these things are just piling up. Um, and then to, to experience that miracle really, cause that, I mean, that's what I think it is. I mean, definitely the miracle. And another thing that I thought was really cool was I never got a bill from that, like that doctor, yeah, which has never got a bill. And it was a specialty doctor where we were expecting to, you know, pay a lot of money. Um, yeah, never had a bill from that. And it was just such a gift, um, in that moment. And I remember that same day I got a call to have an interview for a position and it didn't work out, but it was just still like, like God was just like making himself really present in that moment. Like, yeah, you're suffering and that's okay. I'm right here with you. That's amazing. I, I kind of, uh, current, coin this term, I don't think I've ever heard it anywhere else, but a, a God incidence, mm-hmm. coincidence where God is got mm-hmm. his hands around it. Cause uh, I don't know about you. I don't really believe in coincidence, but I believe in, in God incidences. And there, there are Absolutely. times where I see it happen and I just bawl. I just cry. I'm having a hard time keeping it together right now, but I'm trying. <laughs> so uh, if you see the tears roll, I know okay. that's why we don't have cameras yet but <laughs> one of these days maybe these will be videoed but uh yeah, I mean, it was it was just crazy and and me having expressed this enough you know i mean in the first 10 times it's just <laughs> like oh my gosh like lord like just yeah waterfalls too because because it's real and it's hard um but yeah even in that even in that suffering like god is just like right there yeah like, i'm with you this is hard i went to the cross for you like that was hard too you know, but that's okay. Like I'm with you. So when Ambrose is born, do you have a job? I do. Yeah. So get fired from my job, three months of living with my in-laws, looking for a job. It was really hard, very kind of humiliating. Uh, but at the same time, my, my in-laws, like they're such gracious people. Like they're, they're so, they're so giving. Um, we went and moved in with them and, um, yeah, they were just, they didn't make any comments about it. They didn't talk I think my, my, my father-in-law might have told Reagan, um, man, I couldn't have done that. Like, Michael coming in and moving my in-laws, like, I couldn't have done that with my in-laws. That would have been really hard. But I think him recognizing that, like, he was very uh, merciful to me and just very generous mm-hmm. in, like, allowing us to live with them for three months. And it also really allowed our relationship to grow because before then, we, I wouldn't say our relationship was that great, but after that, it had just really turned a corner. And, um, I think, I think our relationship now is probably 10 times better than it was before we lived with them. And so it's just kind of funny that, you know, the God incidences that just kind of happened from this, but I find a job in Victoria, Texas at the end of the three months doing accounting again. And so it was just one of those things of, I, I need to do something, you know, we, we got to provide for the family. Um, and so this firm that I worked for in Victoria, Texas, which is along the coast of Texas as well. Um, I guess from Galveston, that was a long time ago, but it, it's on the coast of Texas and, um, yeah, I worked there and it was great. I worked for eight months and then that's whenever we started to discern to come back to focus. But I had, Ambrose was born on August 28th and I started that job August 1st. Okay. So it was like that same month, August wow. 29th is his birthday, not 28th. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. That's awesome. Quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah. So um, how long are you working at this job, and where does the discernment start um, to to revisit focus? Mm-hmm. So I'm in this job for a total of 
eight months, I believe, eight, maybe nine months. And so start in August, end in May. And the, the, the discernment really started picking up probably around October, November. Um, I, I realized that this job was just temporary. You know, I had, I had been in that mindset and in this industry for about three years now where I just knew that I wasn't where I wanted to be. I just wasn't finding joy working in taxes, working in this accounting firm. Um, made it really hard that I was in the annex by myself, like mm-hmm. off to the side, like doing work by myself, which was just really difficult because, um, yeah, I want to be with people and talk to people. And so I started discerning different options. My dad was a Texas game warden, um, law enforcement. So I started discerning that. I went through the application process to become a game warden, went through the training, um, went through went through like the physical training test and through the interview process. And then midway through, I discerned that that wasn't where God was leading me. It wasn't something that um, yeah, would be good for our family. And so we kept looking at different different options. Started looking into ministry, you know, okay, hey, maybe I can be like a youth pastor here, a youth pastor there. And back of my mind was focus. But, you know, the, the elephant in the room, you got to fundraise your salary. And for mm-hmm. a family, are you kidding me? Like, it was hard enough to fundraise, you know, single by myself. Now I throw in two more people. Um, that's a different ball game. And so I had thought about it and said, no, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> I talked with a buddy and I was like, hey, man, I'm thinking about coming back to focus. And he was like, you're crazy. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, and so um, things really didn't happen to, like, pick up as far as, like, discernment within focus until, I want to say, early February. Late January, early February, we went to a friend's wedding. And there were a bunch of focus missionaries there. And I remember talking to one in particular of just like, yeah, you know, we're actually thinking about, like, low-key thinking about coming back to focus. And then right away she goes, you should, like you absolutely should, you know? <laughs> and, um, at this time we were discerning focus parish. So focus has, you know, the, the college outreach, but there's also an outreach towards parishioners at a parish as well. So there's a few locations, it's very new. And, um, so we were like, Hey, we should go be parish missionaries. So we started discerning that process, went through the whole interview process, got a job offer in May. And I remember going to spiritual direction with a priest, Father Jacob, back down in Victoria. And I was just like, Father, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I got to fundraise my salary. But, like, at the same time, I left Focus without fulfilling my two-year commitment um, the first time. You know, like, would it be good for me to go back? Should I just, like, let it go? Like, I don't know what to do. And, um, yeah, he used this metaphor of a coffee mug. And he was like, let's see, let's take my coffee mug. And... You know, sometimes, you know, through our sins and through through our decisions, we can break the mug. But like God and like through his grace can restore the mug to um to 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 allow it to, you know, drink your coffee again. I mean it's a simple analogy, but what he was trying to get at was, you know, sometimes we do take a, a wrong path, but like God has the grace to like bring us back. And um I was like, Father, you know, when you say that, you know, I talk about like I do need to accept this job with focus and like become a missionary again. And he was like that's that's what I would say. He's like, that's what I was revealing in prayer, but you needed to come up with that, you sure. know, not me. And so um, I called Kelsey, um, one of the focus, um, uh, one of the people that was working with Focus Parish at that time, and I said, you know, we're going to accept the job. And um, yeah, I know we got to fundraise our salary for a whole family. Um, we got to do all these things. We're going to move to, I have no idea where, 
They say they want to send us somewhere up north because there's more families. I'm like, I hope we're not in Massachusetts or Maryland. <laughs> this is too far. Um, but yeah, at that time, we accepted the job, and, and we were really excited. There was just so much joy uh, that kind of came from that at that time. Yeah, That's cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to come back to focus, but we're going to jump to CrossFit. Yeah. I know this is like a uh, huge left turn, not like a little changing of lanes, but uh, I got to go back to um, you stopping me at the campus center one day and asking me a few CrossFit questions and stuff. And at this point, we had sold the gym, so you knew I wasn't like in charge of the place, but you want a little bit of advice on like how to start, things like that. And, and, my first response is, is almost always the same and because I think people are just like scared of the place. Mm-hmm. And so it's just the, the step one is just get you in the front door. Yeah. And then I had to give you a hard time like a week later when I saw you because I was like, this guy comes to me and he, he so- kind of sounds scared, kind of sounds concerned about doing CrossFit. And then he's putting up some pretty impressive scores. And so now that I hear the backstory of you being a college athlete and working out a bunch and, and you're young, um, you're quite a bit younger than I am actually. Um, I'm like, Oh, all the pieces are falling together. So you had some athletic background before. Um, what made you want to start CrossFit and what are you enjoying about it so far? Oh man. Because it's only been a few months, right? I've I've only started since August. Okay. Four or five months. Yeah. Just a few months. And, oh, man, I'm loving it. It's just awesome. I'm, like, telling Reagan, like, hey, maybe I want to start my own gym, like, one day, you know? There you go. <laughs> maybe I should go get my L1, you know, all these things. Um, I'm like, wait, hold on. Let's just be in it for a little <laughs> bit and just, like, get some experience. Um, but, you know, my, my love for my, – my, my desire to start CrossFit, it, it started a while back. I started listening to just different podcasts on health, and you're probably familiar with Barbell Shrugged. Mm-hmm. And so I started listening to these guys just to hear about their nutrition. And I would listen to the Joe Rogan podcast and Jocko Willink and all these guys who are very into um, maybe, maybe not CrossFit itself, but like very fitness and, and um, Kelly Starrett with Mobility Wad. And um, so like all these guys I was starting to listen to in these podcasts and learning these nutritional and functional movement things. And Barbell Shrug talks about CrossFit a lot. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting, you know, just, just wondering. And then, you know, I look at um, – the guys that do it, and I'm like, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I can do that. And, and I mean, I, I remember meeting Tyler for the first time, and um, you know, he had he had a long sleeve shirt on. He was kind of wearing baggy. I was like, oh, maybe he's a farmer. You know, yeah. I didn't know he was a fireman at all. And then sure, I see him at the water park, and I'm like, holy cow, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> what kind of farmers are are grown here in Kansas? Not knowing the guy at all. Just uh, to. Uh, to give people some context, uh, Tyler is probably the number one guy at our gym. I mean, he he went to regionals. I don't know if you knew this, but he competed at regionals uh, back in 2014. Uh, our gym had been around for about three years, and so he was. We went to uh, Chicago with him and got to watch him compete at regionals, which from our little town is extremely impressive. That's huge. And uh, nobody else has done that. Nobody else will do that, <laughs> I'm sure, uh, from this little gym here, but uh, it's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so that was kind of cool. And so um, actually, one of my buddies, Joseph, our team director with Focus, um, he had been thinking about joining CrossFit. 
and not me not knowing um, this. And so, so he's kind of like discerning, hey, should I start CrossFit? He, he's just, just never played sports but wants to be a part of that community. And Reagan comes up to me one day, and she was like, you know, if you want to start CrossFit, like, I'll, I'll let you. Like, you can do it. And I was just like, what? Like, this is kind of crazy, just kind of coming out of nowhere, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And um, then I go to Joseph, and I was like, hey, do you want to you join CrossFit with me? He was like, what? Are you serious? No, yes, I do. <laughs> and Joseph's here, right? Joseph's here. Okay, yep. so he's like the director at Fort Hayes? Yep. Okay, exactly. I got you. Yep, so he's the team director here at Fort Hayes. And I met him, right? At, I think uh, so. Uh-huh. Um, what's his name's? Uh, speech. Oh, when Jason ever yeah. came? Yep. Yeah. You did okay. meet him. You're right. And so Joseph, he he was he told me, he goes, I wasn't gonna bring it up, but since you did, it's just like, oh my gosh, God's telling me I have to do CrossFit. Yeah. So we signed up. And I remember like the first week, I think it was just like squats, something pretty simple, but it was um maybe six by ten, six sets of ten reps. Uh-huh. And I had maybe one thirty five on which in college, I, I think I, I maxed at like 405 and would warm up with two, 225, you know, and just like really work out with that a lot. Mm-hmm. So I have 135 on thinking, okay, like this, is a good, this is a good start or whatever. I start cramping by like the third rep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so <laughs> embarrassing. And then, you know, I look down the line and, and Gabby's working out with like a higher weight. And there's yeah. other women with, working out with higher weight. And I'm just like, what is happening to me? <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I was not in shape at all. I, I, I quit being, uh, when I quit playing baseball, I gained about 30 pounds. I think I was at 250 at my height. Um, and I mean, in college I was about 215, 218 max. And, um, yeah. And so like, I just was, yeah, I was just really out of shape and just had to really scale everything. And it was, it was really humiliating for like my pride, um, but yeah, kind of over time, it's it's just a little bit better, yeah, a little bit better, a little bit better. And now, I mean, I, I I feel great. I feel like I can start pushing it a little more to 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 try doing RX things. Um, some of them are, are RX, some of them I still have to scale. But it's uh, kind of depending on the exercise. I I mean, I love it. I think it's so fun. Do you see any crossovers from the gym to the church? Oh, you know what? One of the biggest things, and, and and Joseph mentioned it to me, and he had missed for like a week, maybe not even a whole week. Maybe he went on Monday, and then he came back on Saturday or something like that. And Anthony comes up to him and was like, hey, Joseph, how's it, how's it going, man? I hadn't seen you in a while. Like, where have you been? And he was like just really, really struck by that because – um, it's one of those things that it's like such a tight community that when you miss, it's noticed. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, man, like if we could be that observant of our brothers and our friends for like missing mass on Sundays, mm-hmm. Hey, I noticed you didn't come to mass this week. Like, like, like where you been? I missed you. You know, not so much of like, Hey, why aren't you at mass? Mm-hmm. It's more of a, uh, man, I missed you at mass. Like it just wasn't the same without you there. Oh, you know, we were on vacation. Oh, cool. Yeah. How was that vacation? You know? But something that he really uh, 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 correlated with was the accountability mm-hmm. that, like, you see in the gym that it, it is missing in some parts of the faith. And maybe it's kind of hard to talk about that part um, with other people to, like, challenge them in that, which which I understand is a little bit more difficult, maybe a little more sensitive. But, um, 
Yeah. And in addition to that, I mean, the discipline, you know, I think there's a point where I've really started to, uh, to realize whenever you hit these workouts, the 21, 15, nine workouts, you're on 15 and you're like, I just can't give anymore. Everything's burning. <laughs> um, you kind of enter into this space where you're just like, you just, you kind of enter into the zone and, and Matt Frazier, you know, like the, the CrossFit champ, the fittest guy in the world, he talks about how he has to just go to this dark place. Mm-hmm. And it just like sits in this dark place and like through that pain. Um, and, and ultimately, like, that, like especially in those 21, 15 nines, I'm on set 15. I'm just like, it hurts. You just got to stay there. You know? Yeah. But you only, but you know, there's only nine after that. Yeah. So as bad as this hurts, <laughs> you know, you don't have to do 15 more. Yeah. It's just nine more. Exactly. It's like, you're so close and you can taste it. Um, but like you're suffering so much, but like you're so close and then you finish and then, um, yeah. And then there's like this relief, but then everything starts kicking in, you know, mm-hmm. your body starts reacting to everything you just did hurts a little bit, but I mean, I, I think the correlation there is, is you're in this suffering, you know, and you know, it's going to end soon, but like you still, you're still able to, 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 to push through it. And, you know, as I'm thinking about it now, I really hadn't thought about it too much, but as I'm thinking about it now, it's one of those things that, um, Whenever I go work out, like the more that I do it, the more that I go to the CrossFit gym and, 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 and enter into those moments, the easier the next moment gets. As much as, it, as hard as it is, as much as it's burning, like I know that it's going to end and I know that the suffering um, like is good for some reason. And so correlating that to my life, like think about my past life where there was just so much suffering from deaths in the family to losing my job, like being able to sit in our sufferings. Um, is actually a really good thing. You know, I think, I think it's very common for people to experience suffering and run, right? That's what I did in Maryland. I was experiencing all this suffering and I ran and, um, I just want to get comfort. I just don't want to sit in it. And so, um, I think it's such a, such a good discipline thing to be able to do these exercises and to, and to get into that suffering and just sit in it and just sit in it. Like it's not going to end right now. If we still have 10 minutes, you know, you just started your 15 minute workout, you know, you're five minutes in, you think you're an hour in, um, you just got to sit in it a little longer, you know, find this, this, this rhythm. Uh, they say this dark place, but something that I always remind myself when I'm in that is like, my body is meant to glorify God. My body is meant to glorify God. And just like allowing that to just hone in my focus, not so much as a dark place, but like a place to reveal God's glory through the suffering. And how I know your uh, friend Joseph, who missed a few days, how scared are you to come back? And it's the same way, you know, with the faith. You you mm-hmm. miss a few days of prayer, and then you're like, well, I don't want to go to mass on Sunday because I haven't been doing anything all week when yeah. it comes to my faith. Yeah. But I I just see that when I miss three, four, five days of workouts, and I'm like, oh man, I got to get back in there. It's gonna hurt way more than if I would have just worked out those other four or five days. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take much. You just yeah. got to get your heart rate up. Absolutely. You know, but the same thing with prayer. Absolutely. You know. I, Sunday mass is a whole lot easier when you say your rosary every day, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's a book you got to read, uh, called learning to breathe fire. Oh, yeah. Check that it. out. Yeah. Um, there's a, it's all about CrossFit. Um, a lot of, I really loved reading it because 
I've, I've been involved with CrossFit for so long. A lot of the stories I read in there, I'm like, oh, I remember this happening. Oh, Oh, I remember when so-and-so won the games and stuff like that. And, um, but then there's a lot in there that I, I didn't know. And I was, Mm. it blew my mind. Like, uh, the first, have you done Fran yet? The workout? I don't think I've done Fran. You would remember if you had, but it was the first CrossFit workout ever invented. And like the, the history behind how he came up with that workout and stuff like that will blow your mind. Um, but there is a chapter in there uh, about the spiritual connection with CrossFit. Wow. And, um, a- after I read that book, we used to do uh, hero wad Fridays. So mm-hmm. for those of people who don't know, a hero wad is, is dedicated after a, a fallen soldier or, um, law enforcement officer or something like that. And they are hard. They're harder than your typical workout because of the fallen soldier and you're supposed to do them in in their memory and and to pour yourself out a little bit more Mm. um for for the that purpose however after i read this chapter um a lot of hero workouts involve running Mm. and so we take off for this run and i just happened to be at like a 6 a.m class that day and Whenever we do workouts, we blast music, um, get your mind off the workout a little bit. However, there's no music outside when you're running, um, but there is a sunset at 6 a.m. or a sunrise at 6 a.m. Mm. And I am like bawling, crying in the first round of this <laughs> yeah. workout as I run outside, dedicating it to this fallen soldier on a Friday. Wow. Uh, Friday's Red Friday too, usually, mm. which is red is remember everyone deployed. And uh, part of the reason why we do the yeah. Hero Wads on Fridays. And, cool. and, uh, and I'm just like, this means way more than just a workout. Wow. I never knew that. <laughs> Golly, that's awesome. I mean, that just takes everything to the next level. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's great to bring my own, my own prayer intentions, like, to the suffering. But to mm-hmm. see how, you know, the gym, like, like, the gym specifically, and then even outside of that, like, hey, this is a good workout. It's going to make you physical. It's going to make you fit. But like, there's a, there's a deeper reason to this. Yeah. Why we're doing this. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. It's good stuff. It's great stuff. Do you, um, I know you can't, uh, share like specifics and stuff, but I'd, I'd love to hear some stories like from campus, some, um, maybe something crazy that happened or some, something that really pops in your mind, like, oh my gosh, you got to hear about this guy I talked to or this couple or this gal. What, do you have anything that comes to mind? Um, you know, I think, I think the couple things that come to mind, um, are especially, uh, you know, something that, that has really been hitting me this semester, um, is the saying that it goes, uh, and, and maybe I'll explain it here once I say it, but the, the, the saying goes, Rules before relationship is a recipe for rebellion. So I'll repeat again. Rules before a relationship is a recipe for rebellion. So, um, so if I told Ambrose, Ambrose, you like hear all the rules and you have to do it, and then I just never spent time with him, never developed a relationship, never did anything that he wanted to do, never brought him into my life. Um, you know, as he gets older and, and that relationship it just becomes a rule based relationship, then it will lead to rebellion. And Ambrose is your son. Ambrose is my son. He's now, two years old. Two years old. Got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So, um, 
So always keeping that in my mind. And, and I think a lot of times that happens with the people in the, in the faith and in the church of, here are the rules. The church says you have to do this. The church says you cannot do this. And so like, um, the thing that's lacking is the relationship with God. And so um, my thought is that a lot of people leave the church and leave the faith because of that, because they just see these rules without the relationship. So that kind of being the foundation, um, one thing that we do at campus is, is we want to really establish these relationships. We want to establish these friendship relationships with these guys, but then ultimately we want to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of that's like the, the background, the context. Um, but the story that I'm thinking about is, is with my buddy Jacob, and I met him in the fall of last year. So he was a freshman and he came in on the football team, big guy, and um, I'm coming in from Focus. You know, this is our first year at Fort Hayes. Fort Hayes doesn't even know what Focus is. And so we go on campus, and we're just trying to meet students. We're trying to introduce ourselves, get our foot in the door, get some face time with the students. And for me, I work with a, a division of Focus called Varsity Catholic. So my, my emphasis, my focus um, on the students are, are for athletes. And so I work with athletes and that's kind of my, my niche of, of where I'm trying to target. That's cool. And I just wanted mm-hmm. to throw in there that I went to Fort Hayes. I graduated from Fort Hayes and, um, I wish we would have had focus then, you know, I wasn't very involved on the, uh, I was involved in church. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also my home parish. I, mean, I went to, I didn't leave. I've yeah. been at this parish since I started serving in whatever second or fourth grade, you know, and yeah. so I didn't really have a need to be at the campus, Catholic campus center. Right. Um, but, you know, looking back, that's one thing I definitely would have changed is yeah. I wish I would have been more active more at the campus center, but yeah, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. That's cool. Um, but yeah, going, going back to Jacob, you know, uh, so we're, we're on campus and we're helping the freshmen move in t- into Victory Village and the football team is there. The freshman football players are there helping move in because it's part of something that they do. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like this is the time that I can go meet these football players. So right away I go in there and I start meeting people and, and I come up to Jacob and I meet him and hey, hey, I'm Michael, you know, good to meet you. Can I help you move anything? Just try to start up a conversation and he's just not interested. And I'm just like, dang, who's this guy? Oh, well, let's go meet someone else. So I go meet other guys and whatnot. And then um, a couple days later, the church put on um, an ice cream social. And Jacob was there again. And I was like, hey, man, what's up? Good to see you here. You know, Michael, you remember me? No. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, good to meet you, blah, blah. And then, you know, then the next time um, I met him, was at like uh, a Sonic, we had, we did, did like a volleyball night. And so, hey, what's up, Jake? You're good to see you, blah, blah. He maybe knew me a little bit more, but not really. And so, um, so like all these little touch points. And then ultimately he, he, he started coming into my Bible study. And then he started um, walking with me um, through mentorship, through discipleship to, to really, um, yeah, to grow in his faith life, but to also grow in mission. And I asked him one day, I said, Jacob, do you remember the day that we met? And he, he's like, thinking back, he goes, oh, was it the time that I saw you on, on, on campus, like during whenever school had started when y'all were tabling? I was like, no, it was before that. Oh, was it at the volleyball court? 
I was like, nope. It was before that. Oh, it was the ice cream social, right? I was like, nope. And, and I was like, Jacob, I met you at Move In. And he was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. You know, and, and like, and, and it's something that I, I constantly remind myself because it's one of those things that, um, you know, going back to that, that, that kind of foundation of, of the rules without, rules before relationship equals rebellion. You know, it, it was just like, it takes a lot of touch points to build a relationship, you know? And so to this point where, where, yeah, like he and I are good friends where I can, you know, challenge him with these rules, but it's because that there's a relationship here. And so, um, you know, but, but to also be patient with like the relationship takes time, you know? And, and I think as missionaries, it's easy to get in my mind that, okay, I need to come in here coming to Fort Hayes and I'm going to just like share the gospel and I'm just going to tell these people, Hey, you need to change this in your life. You need to do that. Take the shortcut. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, it actually takes a long time to develop these relationships. All right. I got some, some quick questions, but before we get to those, I got one more thing because this is, um, it's a huge stumbling block. I think uh, it's, uh, and I think you can really attest to it, but you know, this belief that bad things happen, mm-hmm. God is good. Why does God let bad things happen? Mm-hmm. If he's so good, he wouldn't let bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I cannot believe because I can't believe in a good God who allows bad things to happen. Yeah. How do you answer that? Yeah, that's, a, that's a tough one. Get Father Brian over here. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think um, just looking at my story and just kind of like what we talked about of, 2016 of, of family members dying, cancer coming on my family, you know, more family members dying, uh, losing my job, you know, all these bad things. And it's like, Lord, like I was a missionary. Yeah. I gave my life to you. Like I, I, I um, like I'm very faithful to you. Like, I love you. Like, why are these things happening to me? Um, I mean, ultimately I don't know, you know, ultimately I don't know, but I think it's one thing to recognize that, um, just like in the Gospels, whenever, whenever Jesus' buddy Lazarus dies, you know, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Um, I don't remember the, ver- the chapter verse, but um, it says Jesus wept, and like he wept. And so, like, I think I think there's an assumption in play that God, um, like, puts these bad things in into our lives. Like, God made me get fired. God killed you know my family members. God. like forced these diseases to come into our lives. Um, And and that's just not the case. Like the reality is that, that we are made for relationship with God. Number one, like the garden of Eden, like we were in full communion with God, but here's the kicker. And here's the, here's the point of it through sin, like through sin of Adam and Eve, like they sin entered the world. And so, the reality of like all these sufferings and all these bad things is that we live in a broken world. We live in a sin, sin filled world. And, um, and the thing is, yeah, these bad things, they may happen to us, but, um, like look carefully, like, are you praying? Like, do you have a relationship with God? Because God is actually making these things, um, like for the good. You know, he, he's, he's taking these bad things that happened to us and he's, and if you just watch him, he's, he's making them good. Right, I lost my job with a baby on the way. Um, go and move in with my in-laws. Our relationship had never been stronger. What? 
That's crazy. Like, mm-hmm. had I not been fired, I would not have taken this job in Victoria. I would not been in focus. Our family um, would not be at the state to where we are. And, and, and we were not in a good state, you know, when we were first married. Um, it was just really difficult, and it was very mundane. It was very mediocre. There just wasn't really a goal of, like, where our family was going. Um, came to focus and started being challenged, starting to, to pray as a family, which was very rare. You know, um, so like all these aspects of suffering that God is actually molding into something good. And so I don't, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I mean, I mean, ultimately, yeah, we live in a fallen world and like sin is the reason. But, you know, there is the answer that Jesus Christ um, like became incarnate. God became incarnate for us. And and, and it really didn't hit me till this past um when was it? This past fall, I was driving back here to Hayes from Wichita from a retreat, and God was just like, Michael, I actually became man. I became incarnate for you. Like, if no one else said yes, like, you are the reason why. And just, like, really allowing God to speak that to you. Um, uh, maybe maybe you as a listener right now, you know, um, like, God loves you. Like, not y'all. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he does love everybody, but like he specifically like loves you. And so like I had really never sunk into my heart um, other than that drive. And here I was just like balling, driving, mm-hmm. trying to stay on 70 straight. Um, <laughs> I've good. been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, that, that's what I would say to that. All right. Um, that's perfect. I wanted to wrap this up, but mm-hmm. then I had another question for you. I had another thought pop in. Um, you've been Catholic in a lot of different locations is it easier being catholic in hayes than it is in other places i would say yes but i've never lived anywhere else oh yeah i mean i i mean it's you know like i was saying when we moved here it was hard like we just we were we just didn't have community we were going through missionaries as a family it's just a little more difficult Uh, actually as a missionary that first year is just really difficult and so we're just kind of working out the learn the kinks was really hard. But once we like found this community, once I started going to the CrossFit gym, you know, once I started meeting all these people, um, and it was really cool. I was thinking about the other day of just how all these different pockets of the community that we've been able to, to be a part of, it's such a gift. And just to see like the faithfulness of, um, of the people and, and not everyone's Catholic, but like, there's still like a faithfulness in everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I think compared to other places, you know, I talked about living in D.C., how there's all these different bubbles. You know, I think some cities can get so big that it's it's very easy to just stay to yourself. Mm-hmm. I feel like Hayes is a really good size where everyone kind of knows each other, but it, but it expands the bubble a little bit um, to where you're actually able to live in community. And see, I think that's one thing that, that our culture and our world um, really struggles with is small communities and, and there's just a breakdown of them. There's a breakdown of the family and there's a breakdown of small communities. We go from being a part of one um, small community to being a small part of a bunch of large communities, right? Like, Oh, I'm, I've got all these Facebook friends and Instagram friends and, and Twitter and, and TikTok and all these things. Um, but yeah, but do people really know you? And so like, I feel like in Hayes, like there is an opportunity like people to come to know you. And it's such a gift. We've enjoyed it a lot. There's a book that I need to read and I've 
I understand like the concept behind it, but I'd love to like read the whole book and like yeah. learn more about it. And it's called the fourth place. Oh. And, um, I never really heard of this concept, but, um, they said over all of history of human existence, there, there's always been four places. Um, there's been the family, um, your job, then, um, your group of friends, you know, like, so your group of friends isn't part of your family. Um, your job is probably, it's something you have to do, um, but it might, it's probably not your family and it's probably not your group of friends. Mm-hmm. And so you have this other place that you go and hang out with people. Mm-hmm. And they, the, the fourth place they said is actually falling apart because it used to be religion. Wow. Um, it used to, even you go back to tribal, you know, the fourth place was the, uh, you know, the, the spirits and the gods, you know, and then we had the Christian Catholic church, you know, and, but now there's no fourth place. Mm-hmm. And actually they said that CrossFit is filling the fourth place for a lot of people. And then I bring this up with people like you, people like Kelton and say, we're actually super blessed because we have five places <laughs> because we have, we still have our church yeah. community and we get to go to CrossFit yeah. and it's pretty dang <laughs> awesome, you know? That's so and, true. And That's a so lot true. of the people at CrossFit came from church. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome. All right, let's do these quick uh, questions about, like, um, what's one relatively inexpensive experience you think everybody should try at least once in their life? Oh, man. Um, Other than going to a priest's funeral (laughs) with a bunch of, like, really high-level... Oh man, I was gonna say go to go to go to funeral. What was funny about that is they had they had um, relic, like so they're relic hunters. Oh okay. So people, so Father Apostoli, he was on EWTN, um, very very holy man. Started the order of the CFRs and just like did all these great things for the church. And so, in the case of if he were to be canonized a saint, you know, like his body would be relic. Uh-huh. And so there are actually some people they're they called relic hunters go up to people that have died who are like, um, yeah, on, on like potential saints and they go like try to snip beard hair and try to get like toenails and just like crazy things like that. Oh wow. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. So like there were Franciscan priests like waiting on the outside, making sure no one stole it. Interesting. The craziest thing. But, um, yeah, experience that. Oh man. I'd say just get out of the state, you know, like find somewhere to go, um, that's just a little bit different. Take a vacation with the family. It doesn't have to be super expensive. Um, one thing that we did is we went out to Colorado and we had never been to Colorado before. And we just hiked up St. Mary's peak. I think it's what it's called. And it was just so beautiful. Colorado is beautiful. I mean, your listeners are probably pretty, pretty, um, accustomed to that, but, um, yeah, get out of state, try something new. Maybe, maybe don't even plan it. I think okay. that's just a fun experience. How about books? Do you have any book recommendations or something that you've read multiple times? So I'm not a big reader, but last fall I read a 600-page book in about three weeks. Wow. It's called Father Elijah by Michael O'Brien, and it is one of the greatest. It's an apocalyptic book, uh, but there's just so many Catholic nuggets in it and just like so many good um, faith-filled things within it. But yeah, Father Elijah, so good. I think that was actually the one you were reading uh, when we met, and you're like, "Hey, you got to check this out." Oh yeah, because <laughs> it's probably not, it's not 100 percent true. Yep. It's like fiction. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's total it's total fiction, but they're like little 
truths of history that go inside. I mean, that's like Lord of the Rings is yeah. epic and uh, Tolkien was Catholic and so and there's a lot yeah. of little I mean when you're Catholic watching that you're like does everybody else know this is Catholic stuff <laughs> like look look it's very obvious yeah exactly that's funny okay um, other than the same breakfast every morning do you have any other morning rituals that you do every day when I'm good about it I'll have um, a little cocktail of 20 ounces of water half of a lemon and a a quarter teaspoon of Himalayan, pink Himalayan salt. Yeah. And so uh, Kelly Starrett talks about it, how it just like keeps you hydrated. And so like, I'll start with that. And so I'm going to try to get in the routine of starting with that, going to the coffee, but it just, it's a recipe for having to make a few bathroom breaks <laughs> yeah. before noon. But I mean, it's good to keep you hydrated, especially when working out. Heck yeah. What about evening before bed? Or is there, I mean, obviously brushing your teeth and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but outside of those things, is there anything specific you do before bed yeah one thing that we've started especially during this advent season is is saying our prayers we light the candles and we say a a a prayer and then we sing a song as a family and it's really cool ambrose just got a little guitar so he'll just like strum it as we sing and such a gift very cool do you have any quotes sayings mantras prayers that are just a constant reminder that you do all the time yeah, I think I talked about it earlier, but especially when it comes to CrossFit and, and, and maintaining health, uh, maintaining some type of fitness is just like our bodies are meant to glorify God. And having this mindset of we cannot give God any more glory than he already has, but rather when we give glory, we're actually revealing God's glory that he already has. And so like, yeah, whenever I'm in the gym or whenever, um, yeah, I, I, don't want to do something it's like okay yeah my body is actually for god's glory like it's not for it's not for myself it's for his glory it's for his glory so how am i treating it in a way that can reveal his glory what's one to do one to two things that uh, people could do in the next week that would have a drastic impact on their lives whenever you wake up say a prayer every day stay faithful to it i would say that is something to be very drastic Number two, it's going to be really hard. Don't eat sugar. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you do these two things and, and you're going to have the fasting, that, that component that's going to be hard, but it's going to be really good for you. And then you're going to have that prayer to, I mean, right, we talked about prayer, prayer and fasting. Yeah. That's going to change your life. And I know I, I got to dive into the specifics, though. Um, when you say no sugar, can I have an apple? Oh, I would say fruit would be Fruit's okay. okay. No, I, I don't even want to say added sugar because... I would say no added sugar, no artificial sugar. Okay. How about fruit juice? Uh, See, I wouldn't say fruit juice. Okay. Because I I know I've had these questions asked of me when I suggest no sugar, and they're Mm -hmm. just like, okay, draw a line for me. (laughs) Where's the line in the sand? What can and can't I do? So, all right. Um, I got one more question for you, but before then, anything else that you want to add that you want anybody else to hear? Can we find you on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, any of that stuff? (laughs) I hadn't been on Facebook in a while. Instagram, I think I deleted it. TikTok, I just found out what that was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, you know, um, this ministry that, that I'm working at with, with Focus and Varsity Catholic, it's been such a, it's been such a gift. Um, if you want to find me, um, gosh, I, I, I'm trying to think. You can, you can email me, michael.vielma <laughs> at focus.org. Okay. And come, come get to know me a little bit. I am on Facebook. Um, you can follow me there. I don't post too much. I should probably get better. I'm on Twitter. Um, 
but yeah you can pretty much find me the baseball field the football field the wrestling <laughs> the wrestling room um yeah if not that i'll be with my family perfect or the crossfit box what would you like for your personal legacy to be oh man it's a loaded question it is but you know i think i think at the end of my life you know i would want ambrose and felicity all the other children if we have more um yeah just to look at my dad and just to and, and just to look at me and say wow my dad my dad really gave me the faith like he gave me all that he could um and, and like spiritually yeah I, we, don't, we don't make a ton of money you know i'm, I'm not going to provide them billions millions um but like the legacy that i would want to pass on is the faith because you don't have to make a lot of money for that but yeah, it's like it, it's it's worth more than billions. Is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Thanks so much. This has been yeah. great. Thank you, Tucker. This is awesome. All right. Yeah.